Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Smashbox TV's podcast 398. As we inch ever so closely to that 400, which I don't know, maybe not relevant. But anyway, welcome, everyone. We're here for 398, as we just said. Terry Miller, the disc golf guy, not alongside Johnny V. Uh, no. Just a few hours ago, I was there in Milwaukee, but today I hopped on a plane, headed from Milwaukee down to Atlanta, had the two and a half hour drive over to Augusta as we prep for the Champions Cup. And of course, we're going to be talking about that tonight, but uh, we've got some other big things on the horizon here, Johnny, don't we? We do. I actually had to call you tonight because I didn't know if you were coming to the house uh, literally an hour ago, <laughs> and I'm like, well... He could be flying. I know he's doing the the, the uh, presser tomorrow, but he could fly it out in the morning. But that's not like Terry to do. Normally, he gets there a day ahead of time in case there's delays and whatnot. So I just gave you a quick call. I'm like, are you coming in? Because I was going to remind you yeah. to bring the Patreon yeah. discs if you did. But thankfully, yeah, uh, th- yeah. those are sitting in my car uh, still. So uh, thankfully, we're good friends and you know exactly what side of the country I'm on an hour before we have a show. So without further ado, tonight we're going to have some pretty amazing guests and some updates. Of course, we've had her countless times before. We're talking about Zoe Andike. She's going to be joining the show as she helps head up You Play along with Dustin Keegan. And they are also going to have some additional announcements and a very special guest. And without further do we're going to bring them all into the show i'm talking about mark oxer along with zoe and dustin everybody from you play and then some welcome to the show everyone hey guys thanks for having me hey yeah good to have everybody hello hello so uh real quick zoe and dustin are about 15 minutes west of of me in augusta mark you're you're in canada is that what i hear yep that's right alberta canada 
Okay, so we are truly like spread across the country. Johnny V's in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So uh, let, let's get a few quick introductions and, and then we'll roll into some specifics and some details. Up in the top left corner, of course, Zoe and Dustin. Hello, guys. Uh, give everyone a quick two-minute overview or two-second overview uh, of where you guys are at and what's going on right now. All right. Yeah, we we are very excited. We're here in Augusta for the first major of the year, the Champions Cup, and can't be more excited. One of the top, my opinion, one of the top five courses in the world, and we haven't been back here since 2019, so the tour is happy. We've been on the course. Everyone's smiling. Stoked to be here, so so are we. Awesome. Yeah, first, and- first major. Years. Zoe, I was just going to say, you're playing? Are you playing this weekend? Yes, thank you so much. I'm so excited. You know, I'm at all these Elite Series majors, Silver Series stops, and I'm only really playing just a small handful, and it feels incredible to be on WR Jackson and to be playing the first major of the year. Dustin said it best, every touring pro is so happy. Smile from ear to ear walking around that course. It's just a dream come true playing championship level golf in like your your classic disc golf setting in the woods. Yeah, nice. all all hosted, of course, over at the International Disc Golf Center. There'll be plenty of conversation about that throughout the weekend. Uh, and then also, I was going to say our very distinguished guest. You guys have been talking him up. It's his first time on the show. Let's get an introduction <laughs> from Mark Oxer. Mark, uh, give us uh, give us the bio blast. What do you got for us, buddy? Oh man, I, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess I'll start off with the connection that I have with uh, Dustin and Zoe, and that um, I'm the part business owner with CCA, which is a Creative Coaching Academy, where uh, Zoe and Dustin and I have connected through uh, an opportunity that I'm actually going to talk about tonight. So that's one of the things that I do. Uh, I'm currently a fitness coordinator for the Canadian Armed Forces uh, here in Alberta, Canada. And then also work together with some other real awesome disc golf people from the rest of Canada. So I shout out to a couple of friends on the hat here. That's their, their disc golf business. And then uh, getting to work together with just a variety of disc golf opportunities uh, across Canada, actually. Um, a lot of that stuff that if people really were interested, there was a bio I ran for a PDJ board position a couple of years ago. And a lot of the stuff is in my bio. So if people wanted to go back and check it out, they could. Stuff that's not in my bio that might be of interest to people. Uh, not everybody knows this. And it's, so this is going to be a coming out of this a little. Uh, I am just starting uh, my doctorate. And my thesis is going to be on disc golf. <laughs> what? So, that yeah. sounds like a Smashbox yeah. exclusive. So a thesis <laughs> on disc golf. Man, yeah. I mean, we've seen books written. Justin Manichelli, uh, a PDGA uh, board member, board president, actually, uh, not too long ago. So we've seen a few books written, but it sounds like you're taking it to a whole nother level with this, uh, with this research, the thesis. Uh, give us the quick overview uh, before we jump into some of the other stuff you're obviously actively involved with. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I've spent a lot of time in school, pros and cons to that, I guess, from both a, a student <laughs> side and then also a, a teacher side. I've been an instructor at university as well as a student. 
And so in spending time in school, I've gone through a, a couple of bachelor programs, a couple of master's programs, and now working on a doctorate program. And then uh, the reason that I'm choosing disc golf is that my doctorate is uh, specializing in elite performance. And then within elite performance, I'm focusing on the sport of disc golf, specifically with regards to coaching and athlete performance and the influence that coaches can potentially have on athlete performance at the elite level. And that is coming from my background as a Team Canada coach in a couple of different sports. I've been a Team Canada coach for the sport of powerlifting, currently a Team Canada coach with the Canadian Armed Forces within the soccer program. And then even just myself and the background that I've had working with uh, collegiate and professional athletes for about the last 20 years of my life has allowed me to build a significant coaching resume and the education side of it as well. So now I just figured the sport is ripe for some coach and athlete education. Wow. Uh, I mean, when you're done being lazy, maybe you can get some of that. Okay. So, so we'll have probably plenty of more questions about that, uh, some of those uh, specifics. But recently, it sounds like there's been some news. Uh, but first, let's get a little bit of a background. We're seeing the Uplay Connects. We're seeing Uplay being advertised and promoted in all the different places, uh, largely for schools and, and other community pro- uh, projects. Dustin, Zoe, give us give us an update, kind of a state of the union uh, update uh, for where Uplay is at right now, and what should people be knowing about Uplay? Thank you, Terry. This is really, really special um, to be back on Smashbox and to be able to give these announcements. And this is definitely projected to be the most exciting and the biggest year of of my life and of my disc golf career. And of Uplay's success. And I remember being on this show before even starting Uplay. And I even remember how long winded I used to speak. And I I feel like after all these years and all of all this professional training, all of my amazing board members and advisors, I can give you some really powerful and special announcements that I'm I'm honored and, and just stoked to present it here on Smashbox first. So Thank you and Johnny for having me back. <laughs> You're always welcome um, back. Of course. You guys are the best. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so you play in 2022. Boy, we committed to a lot and we are really on the road. Um, we're on the professional teaching tour as well as disc golf. Dustin's playing full time, um, all of the elite series plus some majors. I'm playing very part time, part to half time maybe. Um, I've also taken up a job with the disc golf network, doing a little bit of commentary here and there, but let's keep it focused on what's so special and what's going on with you play. Um, we, we announced our partnership with the disc golf pro tour at the beginning of the year. So at each one of the 15 elite series stops, you play stop goes into a school that's close in vicinity and that kind of checks off all the boxes of whether they're underserved or well-resourced to help spread the word to more and more places throughout their counties and state. We choose a school and we teach disc golf to them. We bring in some of our touring pro ambassadors and we deliver a really, really unique and specialized intro to disc golf. Or if the school has already um, had disc golf and the teacher's well-versed in it, we deliver the advanced version of what, how to play and continue progressing your skills in disc golf. So the 15 stops that we're committed to with the pro tour, 
um, really help us in some of the work we're getting ready to tell you about and some of our partnership with Mark and CCA. But uh, I don't think that we would even be at such a special spot with Mark and CCA without this next announcement. After eight years of writing, editing, and experiencing what would be the correct model, we are, Uplay is officially ready to launch our book, our, our very first teaching guide. So we're starting with the basics, the Uplay Disc Golf basics. And that should be available as early as the end of this month. So it's, it's labeled the fundamentals on how to teach and play disc golf. So, so is this is this like a curriculum everybody. or is this a, literally a book that you're going to be publishing for teachers and or people? Who we like to call teachers? it we like to call it a teaching guide because literally um, if you or Terry were to buy this book, you could work on your own game. Um, even being, you know, I think Terry and you have been playing maybe double the amount of time as I have. I've been playing for 17 years, but this book is literally the manual to not only introduce it, learn the basic skills progressions and how to get better at each skill, but then also empowers an individual to teach it easily enough. So we like to call it a teaching guide. Um, and it, the advanced version will be coming down the pipeline, we hope, by this fall, um, potentially winter, but not too worried or stressed out about that. We got a lot of other things on, on the plate. So the teaching guide is finally coming, coming out. We're launching it to the public. It's such a special thing. We've been, we've been teaching on the Disc Golf Pro Tour, like I said, literally since before the inception of Uplay, and working with hundreds of teachers and hundreds of different coaches and educators to make sh absolutely sure that when we were ready to release this book, it was going to be the most user-friendly and the most digestible and that it's built under thousands of hours of experience. And it's what, what properly works in our experience. And the most up-to-date. And the most up-to-date. <laughs> so that's exciting. Yeah. Uh, I, I just have to jump in and ask then when when you, you know, somewhat recently uh, befriend and partner up with someone like Mark. Mark, are you, uh, you know, being a little bit newer to the sport, maybe not quite the history that, that Dustin and Zoe have, for instance. Is it a totally different perspective from a teaching component? I mean, they obviously have their background and then you have your uh, athletic training and everything else. How much did you guys kind of already align and what were those <laughs> for lack of a better term, negotiations or edits like? I mean, were they worlds apart? Were you talking two d different languages? Nope, not at all. It's been really, oh. really seamless. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. I don't know. Is this where we share some of the other stuff, guys? Is, do we want to um, go into the Canadian stuff yet, or do we want to hold on to that for a little bit, Terry? <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to get us too sidetracked. <laughs> Uh, so if we, if we have more to, to follow on uh, what Zoe was talking about, and then I think we can lead into what it sounds like is a pretty crazy announcement uh, and partnership for you guys. Zoe, uh, yep. continue on. Sorry. <laughs> oh, and Mark, thank you for your answer there. Uh, I think Terry has been around in the disc golf world long enough to know that um, so many people are trying to be innovative or creative or an entrepreneur in how to make it in the world of disc golf. 
And a lot of times, you know, you'll find people for, for whatever reason, I don't know, that don't want to come together to make something stronger. And so I think the really special highlight here about working with Mark and actually his partner, Darren, who's not here tonight, and we'll talk a little bit about him too, but he's incredibly busy. Um, The cool (laughs) part about linking up with both of them is that there's, there's a lot of selflessness to be sure that we are delivering something to the entire world, you know, starting with uh, Canada and the United States and um, refining it to, to literally make the world a better place because we believe this golf does that. And I know you guys know you play as mission. I've had so many chances to say it on here before and I'll say it again, but we, we are solely based on, on health and wellness for the world through educational disc golf programs. So linking up with Mark being as intelligent and well-rounded in other athletics and so enthusiastic and passionate about disc golf, it's kind of a dream come true, I, I would say. <laughs> but I, uh, I, I will stop dragging it out. I want to. I want to finish with some of the announcements. Yeah. Okay, so you play is coming out with the teaching guide, which builds up the big announcement. Um, we will be continuing our five-year partnership, heading back up to Juneau, Alaska. We're we're helping the whole Southeast Alaska area first to be able to sustainably teach disc golf before we move into the rest of the state. And that's a lot. Uh, Southeast Alaska is still huge. A lot of area to, to cover. And then um, we we have recently this year, we have already been to, in the month of March, the State of Vermont SHAPE Conference. And for those of you out there that aren't familiar with SHAPE conferences, they are physical education. They're educators' conferences. If you're a PE teacher, you're going to go to a SHAPE conference to learn what you want to teach in your next curriculum or find the hottest new sport and get hyped on it, get the resources and get the materials. So you play decided to put some resources towards visiting shape conferences. And we had amazing reviews in March. Vermont went well. We hope to always return. And then at the end of this month, we'll be going to shape USA, which uh, takes, you know, it, it doesn't take care of, but, certainly invites educators from all over the United States of America and gives us a chance to be on an even more grand of a stage to, um, to make people aware of disc golf. Really, my favorite part is getting people hyped on disc golf. Like, I'm an energy freak, you know. I, I want people getting excited with me, smiling and having fun. Um, and then, obviously, making sure that they have access to all the resources, the curriculum, proper baskets, proper equipment and you play as partners, you know, part of our core values is to work with all of the manufacturers, whether it be discs or baskets. So we keep a nice Rolodex of who's got the stock, who's got the best price, how can we get it to the schools for the cheapest? And that's what we're all about when we're presenting at shape conferences. So going down the line, these things all came together at the same time we were signing our partnership agreement with the pro tour which inside of our world of disc golf obviously is taking it to the next level, the professionalism of the sport and how we operate in tournaments, the fact that we can watch live and all the other amazing things that the pro tour does. They were, they were 
I guess you could say like a big brother to you play in a lot of ways, a lot of the management or ownership behind the pro tour, even all the way back to the Steve Dodge days up till currently. These are not only our friends, but people that have watched Dustin and I grow in the game, start you play and grow you play and believe in us. And so we got to shout out every person that's involved with the disc golf pro tour. And then also with you disc, you disc is by far, to me, one of the most professional, um, well, it's the best application, I think, in disc golf and, and m- definitely your best resource for information. So we, we love UDISC. We're all about educating and information. That was a very important strategic partnership to score. And then the last thing I want to say about this before we get into the um, big announcement is that when we go into the schools on the Pro Tour Community Connect, Uh, And when we go into Alaskan schools and places that we have booked for this year, 22 schools total this year, um, we teach the children. We provide professional development hours for the teachers. We leave the schools with discs to continue playing and baskets to throw them in, curriculum. And then the best part, again, shout out to UDISC super hard. UDISC is committed to resourcing you play with a really large amount of putters and you'll see the stamp. Um, (laughs) I'll I'll be sure to blast it out there a little more on social media, but we're able to give a putter to any child that feels like they want to play disc golf and they want to continue to play. Um, And so not only are we taking care of the schools and the teachers, we're giving the kids an amazing experience with professionals but we're also making sure that they know how to access disc golf through UDISC everywhere. They get a little sticker with a QR code on the back of the putter if they so choose to take it home. And to tidy up or wrap up that story perfectly, last two weekends ago at Texas States, um, Ella Hansen is one of our pro ambassadors that has been in schools with us since last year. And she's rolling up to a, a course that's not part of Texas States, and she's meeting Brian Geist to do her in the bag. She looks over at the practice basket and she sees a really incredible disc golf lesson happening. It's one of the students that was just at Tyler, Texas doing his homework and and we call it fun work, but the fun work we prescribe is if you enjoyed what you did today, go home and tell a loved one and show them what you learned. And here is a young boy, probably sixth grade, teaching his mom how to play disc golf the day after we did the school presentation. It's working. It, heck yeah. Yeah, and for those of you that watch for those of you that watch the broadcast, you'll you'll know because there's usually two things that we broadcast. I believe it's maybe on the first or second day. We usually show the uh for every the DGPT events, um the Uplay uh kind of summary where you, they show a lot of the shots of you guys going to the course or going to the schools and doing what you do and then the UDIS course course close-up maybe is what it's called i always forget what it's called but it's mm-hmm. uh they get a lot of input from you guys about you know tips and such on the course and that's what you guys work on together for uh the the dgpt particularly absolutely yeah and one other cool thing about all that is out of three events so far this year we've taught about 1100 students and we've given away 945 discs and it's their choice Dang. take it or leave it and they all want it and that's only three events. Wow. 
pretty amazing. Eleven hundred? Cool. Is that what you just said? Eleven hundred? Eleven hundred kids in three events. Yeah. It's been a lot. Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll have to definitely send in the stats or join at the end of the season with how many teachers, how many discs given out, how many kids taught. Because yeah. it's a it's pretty incredible. Um but now wow. I, I really do I really want to shift gears. I, thank you for giving us some airtime and Mark for waiting patiently. But Mark, Mark is a patient man and he is <laughs> a really strategic and smart man because I, I, I think he chose to want to partner up with you play for all the right reasons. And I, I take a lot of honor in that. And here's where it shakes down. And Mark, I'll, I'll take a breath and let you, let you, sure. Uh, make, sure, make sure I nail this part. Um, <laughs> A couple months ago, a committee called Can Disc Golf, it's short for Canadian Disc Golf, but Can Disc Golf, well, they were formed a couple years ago, but they've developed a six-phase process um, to, to basically implement so that the, the national Canadian government will recognize disc golf as its own professional sport. And for those of you that don't know out there, Right now, disc golf kind of lives under the umbrella of ultimate frisbee. And of course, that's like one of our sister sports, but disc golf is really its own total entity of a professional sport. And we want to help see the entire country of Canada deem it so for all of the amazing reasons, whether it be resources, grants, professional contests, you name it. So um, can disc golf put out an RFP for for people to say, all right, who's going to help us do this? Who's going to help us with this huge process, this six-phase process to win over our government and to educate, create community coaches uh, all the way up to professional coaches? And I'll, uh, I'll let Mark take over after this. Wonderful man and friend of ours named Ben Smith. Most of you guys know him as the TD of Canadian Nationals. Yeah. Um, well, we were tipped off by a, a total just friend of mine up in, up in BC. Her name's Marie Elise. And she said, Hey, I, th- I think there's this proposal thing that you guys should know about. Kind of seems like stuff you do. So I, I wrote to Ben and Ben said, well, Hey, do you guys know Mark? <laughs> and the rest is really exciting and history that we are writing. Mark. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Okay, Mark, yeah. what's going on? <laughs> yeah, so that was a really good explanation. Well, that's awesome, great. That's really good. Um, so, yeah, Canadian Canadian Disc Golf uh, has been formed a couple of years ago. And the way the structure of sport works in Canada is that to be re- uh, recognized as an NSO, a national sporting organization, uh, there's boxes you have to check along the way some of those boxes are things like having several provincial entities that are willing to support the national entity and so that process kind of went on like over the last two years is trying to get the provinces of manitoba on board and lined up and structuring some of the leadership within the provinces of manitoba so we can have a national sporting organization and then moving forward with sport canada which is the large governing organization in canada that governs all of our sport from a a professional side of things. And when I, what I mean by that is that that is the stuff that goes through our long-term athlete development model uh, for those people who are not sure what that means. Like uh, it's essentially taking somebody from the first time that they would participate in a sport until uh, they're no longer participating in the sport at a, 
essentially when they would pass away kind of thing. Right. So, and then the, all the steps that lead up in between that. So part of being a registered and recognized NSO within Canada and being recognized by sport Canada means that you have to have an athlete pathway, a long-term athlete development pathway. So we have to sort of map that out. Uh, the can disc golf has to map that out and what that looks like. And then as part of that, there also has to be a coaching pathway to go alongside the athlete pathway. And this is where uh, can disc golf is at right now is that they've got a, they put out an RFP. So saying, Hey, we'd like to do the first step of coaching, which is in Canada is labeled as the community coach. There's kind of three phases. If you want to look at it from that perspective within Canada. So we have a, an organization in Canada called the national coaching, uh, national coaching certification program. NCCP is what it's called for short. And that's hosted by this coaching association of Canada. And Within that, there's sort of three-phase approach, like a community-level coach and then a performance coach and then a high-performance or like an elite-level coach. And so Can Disc Golf put out an RFP for the the base level there, the community-level coach. And there was, a, as I said, there was a – I was interested in applying for it uh, based on the education, my, my educational background and some of the other pieces of disc golf administration that I've been working with behind the scenes. And then, yeah, there was a – opportunity to connect and uh i'm not i should probably know this ben's exact position i think is vice president within can disc golf um correct yeah so sorry ben if you're watching that i had to hesitate on that (laughs) um but yeah ben uh, ben's the vice president for canadian disc golf and uh, there was an expression of interest from obviously you play and then my partner and I within CCA uh, and then Ben said, Hey, you know what guys, like, I think this is something that if you guys are willing to collaborate would be beneficial for everybody involved in that you play could get some really cool stuff from what Mark and Darren do. And then uh, vice versa, like we can get some really cool stuff from you play. And then ultimately Canada is going to get an amazing product. And then Ideally, ultimately, the world is going to get an amazing product out of the deal as well. So that was kind of where we came from, and I think we're, I think we're going to achieve it. <laughs> I believe so. so. Yeah, yeah. So, what what would you say are are some of the, like whether you've thought about them and already addressed them, or you they're on the horizon? What are some of the like bigger obstacles or things that maybe other people aren't thinking about as you're explaining this? What are what might be some of the challenges that you've either had to overcome or you think that might be uh, still forthcoming? Uh, I think just formalizing coaching within the sport, right? It's still kind of a very much a grassroots type of sport uh, where it's like, Hey, uh, I've thrown a Frisbee before playing catch on the beach. So uh, I can teach you how to throw a Frisbee. And <laughs> yes, there is truth to that. Like, um, and this part of the business that Darren and I have, it's called the creative coaching Academy. And we, we, we've done a lot with, uh, a lot of soccer over the years, but we have, uh, connected through other sports as well and really focusing on developing creativity within sport. And there's some really cool, I don't know how the term I want to use principles, research, uh, kind of stuff that we could do that. So Darren, Darren Labor is my business partner and I'll, I'm going to give him a shout out cause he is a really cool dude. He, um, he's currently doing his doctorate 
uh, in sports psych, and he is focusing on transferability of learning. So within his doctorate, what he's actually focusing on is asking the question, has learning actually occurred? So when a coach is leading a training session and then asking later on, has learning actually occurred? Is the learner actually leaving the, the coaching environment having improved? And then creating sort of a, a quantifiable way of checking that. And it's, uh, it's pretty cool to see what he does. Now, now don't think that he is like a super crazy, nerdy research kind of guy. I mean, he is really smart and can do all that kind of stuff. But he is also an unlockable character in the FIFA Street video game uh, because he is one of the best street soccer players in the world. <laughs> so uh, he's, yeah, so he's also got the ability and uh, he played professionally himself when he was over in England. He now lives in the United States. And so he's brought a real creative approach into uh, the sporting world. And then we're able to translate that and look at some of the other things, even within disc golf and say, hey, is there a different way to solve this problem? And I think we see it like when we watch some of the guys, maybe like Simon play and you're like, he broke the hole, right? Well, good. Cause he's being creative. I like that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So just taking, uh, yeah, kind of going at it from that aspect of things, um, and, and really trying to address, uh, to go back to your question, Terry, of like what kind of obstacles we're going to face. I think the biggest one, like you said, is formalizing coaching within this work. Cause when we think of hockey, basketball, um, baseball, football, some of the, the big, maybe the bigger sports that have professional organizations or franchises uh, attached to them, you think, okay, that makes sense to have formalized coaching within that sport. But disc golf is just like, like you said, we had a grade six or teaching their mom how to play. That's awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. that we're not saying we want to stop those things or remove those things. We want to actually encourage those types of things. Um, and, but there's also an opportunity for when we go into schools or not, we, me per se more, uh, when you play goes into schools that there's an opportunity to not just leave the kids with discs and baskets, but also then sort of give them, uh, the, the, the teachers or the other educators, uh, some information as well and how they can go forward and be successful going forward as well. And then looking at how the sport is growing, there's a lot of clubs that are forming, uh, in various parts of the world and just saying like, Hey, if you've got a club forming, let's start looking at how we can progress this forward. And as we think down the road, I'll think a little bit down the road with you and looking at that long-term athlete development model. So we start at active start is the base part of the, um, the, the LTAD. And then it goes through like fundamentals and training to train and learning to train and uh, training to compete and all the different phases of the, uh, the athlete development model. We start looking at other facets as well. So we start looking at, well, where does collegiate athletics play a role in this type of thing? And so when you look at other sports uh, like basketball, volleyball, football, those kind of things, there's generally like a transition that happens from being a club athlete, high school athlete, collegiate athlete, professional athlete. And we're trying to look at the pathways to see how can we synchronize what we're doing within the sport of disc golf to mirror some of those other pathways as well. And then ultimately having that elite athlete be the people that are playing in things like the DGPT. Yeah, and it, I have to think real quick, and may, this is probably a good one for you guys as well. I have to think one of our biggest hurdles or obstacles there is for so many sports, there's this natural timeline of, you know, kids very early in school, 
And then the school is kind of always that background driving natural progressive timeline. Well, you're in this, then you're in junior varsity, then you're in varsity. You know, you, you, you just you're going along with the school in disc golf. Right now, you and we see it literally week in and week out. We have 16 year olds that are competing against 39 year olds. And you could flip a coin who's going to win that day. And yeah. we have such a diversity in terms of the the skill sets and and of course, like so many other things, it's growing and thriving. They're getting younger and younger. However, yeah. we're so diverse because everyone enters this sport at such a different stage in their life, as opposed to, hey, if you're a standout soccer player, you probably at least played in middle school or junior high or high school. You played somewhere along those lines. Here, you could be a standout disc golfer and you picked it up at the age of 32. And you picked it up because you you broke your leg playing ultimate and the next week, you know, and then the next month you decided to start disc golf. So I, I guess if there's a question within there somewhere is, is that is that a hurdle? Is that an obstacle? Is that is that a setback, or is that just something that you guys are learning to kind of recognize and address these different stages? Yeah, I don't I don't see that as a setback at all. Uh, I see no, that as super encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Zoe. I was just going to say it's you know we're it's not that we're starting from a blank slate, but I would say darn near. And what I mean by that is. Um, well, to back it up and tie it into this question from your last question, Terry, what are some of the hurdles and obstacles that maybe Mark and Darren would have had without um, partnering up with Uplay and Dustin and I? We have I have 17 years experience. You have 14. 14. Years. We've been playing professionally for 10, and I've literally been teaching and coaching it for eight years publicly. So when you take that experience and you take what didn't work, what worked. And then we take progression of each skill and then we put it into a, an actual chronological order of, well, why would we teach this before that? And then what happens next, next, next? We're already in those phases um, with where we're at in our writings and in our teaching guides. And we need the experience and the education from Mark and Darren on what they've already had successes with at the higher levels. So in disc golf now to your current question, yeah, we've got Cole Radolin out there and Barry Schultz or, you know, I don't know who else I should. And Gannon, Gannon Burr Gannon and Patrick Burr. Brown or Johnny McRae. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, come on. Like. But to me, this is great news because in my lifetime, not only have I witnessed everything we've seen in the progression of disc golf, but I get to actually be like a, a frontline part of how how we're going to see this wave of the youth then fighting for collegiate titles that are really hard to grab. Where right now, um, and congratulations to all the collegiate disc golfers out there listening to that for your last weekend's performances. But it's going to be incredibly hard to snag one of those titles without 1050 consistent rated play. And that's what it takes right now on the pro tour. Okay. So we're going to witness these things because we're spreading at the masses for teachers to start them young, like what we've always been talking about. But I don't know if everybody that says grow the sport, start them young. I don't know if they really thought about the aftermath of what that's going to create. And it is a worldwide tidal wave of professional disc golf being taken to a whole nother level. 
I've never heard of any 1200 rated rounds, but I bet we will hear of something high 1100, maybe breaking the 1200 rated rounds before I'm done with my time. And it's, I'm not saying it's all because of us, but it's because of the information that works. Yeah. And we, we're, it is professional experience that's being implemented and spread at the mass. And that's the goal. And that's why I'm so hyped on CCA in our partnership because we see that I can't do this alone. I can't do this alone with just Dustin and I or our volunteers that you play. And now we have a couple paid staff part-time. We need an army and we need a really large one. And I see Mark and Darren helping us create that through educators and coaches. And that's where, that's where things really start to run wild. You think Mark? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Totally agree. Uh- I, I'm going to, I've got a, actually a handful of random questions that keep <laughs> popping into my head, but one of them, starts with, um, <laughs> one of them is over in Finland specifically, there is a level and a degree of professional disc golf that's, I think, unmatched anywhere else in the country. Yes, we have, you know, what you guys are doing and, and the development and, you know, we continue to grow and thrive here in the U.S., but in Finland, it's it's like a disc golf factory. They're just spitting out, you know, they're going to keep just spitting out all these, uh, you know, professional little robots that are are getting better and better uh, with every single uh, iteration. Have you had the time or the the capability to do any kind of comparisons or research or uh, reached out to anybody? Have you have you looked? or spoken with anyone over there and say Finland specifically about, uh, you know, what they're doing and how they're going about it. Mark, have you seen any of that? I don't know if I want to let all my tricks out of the bag here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So you, you can no, do your research. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. Um, so I actually have dual citizenship uh, with the UK. And well, yeah, it's not European anymore, I guess, but um, I still have dual citizenship. Um, and so I've been over to Europe a few times. My wife is actually from Europe as well. And so we've had a chance to travel back a few times. And on that trip, there are other countries as well that are starting mm-hmm. to do so go through some of this stuff as well. Um, I have been in touch with a few people from the from Finland as well uh, and had an opportunity to look through some of the education curriculums and stuff that they've put together uh, as part of what they're doing. But even just from a, a sort of a sport perspective and what's happening, I mean, you can take a look at it and it's it's can be analyzed in a variety of different aspects um, as far as how they're growing the game. Uh, and there's some really intentional things that are happening over there that could potentially be replicated in other places. Um, but they are they're doing some really good stuff. And part of it does have to do with the systematic and I don't want to say systematic and think like too much of a box, but there is very much a systematic approach to how players are learning the game and how to play over there. That is different than what is currently happening in the United States and in Canada. And I think what's going to happen is that if we don't intentionally do something to make a change, that that gap is going to get bigger. Like obviously right now there's some very good players from the United States and they're still sort of at the top of the leaderboard, but we're going to see more players from uh, some of those countries like Finland and Estonia creep up the leaderboard real fast. 
And then it's going to start, like you said, it's going to come like a wave uh, because what they're doing over there is a little bit different than what we're doing over here. And that gap is going to get closed and then they're going to end up surpassing if we don't make a shift here and how things are done. And what they are doing is really cool. Um, and it can be replicated in, I mean, arguably anywhere, right? Like, so if we take a look at where I live right now, not quite specifically where I live, but where, um, where I grew up is about 10 hours from here. And there's supposed to be 80 centimeters of snow coming <laughs> in the next couple of days. And the reason I, the reason I bring that up is that Finland is a northern country and they experience a very similar similar climate to what Canada has. And so there's no reason why the we can't be going through some of the same things that Finland is going through. Now, I understand that there's a population difference between the countries, but um, the, the what and how they're doing it can be replicated pretty much anywhere. And okay. I... I, I- kind of add on to or tailor off of that just through some of the relationships that naturally happened in in the time that I've been touring um, Kristen Tatar and Silver Lot are people that Dustin and I consider friends Um, we haven't had a chance to like really bro down with them a ton but the times that we do and and, and we started conversation all the way back in 2017 so that was the year we actually incorporated Uplay, so quite a while ago. And we back then started talking about, hey, we know you guys are coaching and, and you're teaching people a lot about competition disc golf. We're introducing people to disc golf. Let's kick around a few things and let's, uh, let's share notes so that we can all become, you know, basically the professors of disc golf worldwide. And so I look for I look for more collective impact to happen with some of the strongest leaders and teachers of other countries to to want to join forces with us. We we want this information everywhere. We want disc golf in the Olympics. Paul Macbeth yeah. Foundation is putting courses everywhere for a reason. And I, I really yeah. love the example that Mark is, has given. You know, the gap is is going to close and then be unsurpassable, and we don't. We don't want just the United States and Canada and Europe to be the only ones even in the running. We want everything there. And it's going to take all of the top educators to come together. So it's, it's exciting to think about that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If I can just add on, go ahead, Terry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead, Mark. I was just, I was just going to say, if I could add on just, uh, and I mean, I, this, I hope that doesn't come across as disrespectful because that's not where my heart is at with it. But I mean it from a perspective that I think that what differentiates between the European countries and the North American countries right now is a, a professionalism that's with happening within the sport. And what I say with that is that there's a difference in not just the actual training within disc golf, but all of the other pieces that come along with it, which is your sports psychology, your nutrition, your off season training in the weight room. And all of those things are a little bit more professionalized right now uh, within countries like Finland. And I know, like I said, and I know in other countries, it's it's going that route as well. And I think that that's part of the rationale and reasoning behind why we're seeing that that acceleration of what's happening is there's 
a different element of professionalism to the sport. And it, I mean, no disrespect. And I think there's a lot of stuff that's happening to make the sport much more professional in North America as well. But there's a different cultural air to sport in Europe than there is in Canada and United States. And some of that is, has bled over more quickly into disc golf in Europe than it has in North America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I can't echo that enough. Just the little I've heard when I talk to people from Europe, specifically even Finland, who have said things like, yeah, we get done with school and then we go and have disc golf training and disc golf uh, workouts and disc golf um, you know, lessons yeah. and whatnot and all that stuff for two yeah. hours every day after school. Like they're treating yeah. it like I feel like we sometimes would treat volleyball practice or baseball practice or, you know, all the other sports that you go out and you, you have a concerted effort to practice on a routine day in and day out, sometimes, yeah. you know, twice a day before school and after school. Like to hear that that's what they're doing in places like Finland I mean, it to me is makes it not shocking whatsoever to see some of the new superstars that we are coming out at the very young ages of you know fifteen and sixteen and eighteen. I mean, they're they're treating it like a very professional sport. And I'll I'll tack on top of it. I know it's a little bit of a cultural thing, but I'll tack on top of it just the the professionalism comment uh, with regard to etiquette as well. I mean, let's face it. Again, I know it's somewhat cultural, but yeah. You go to a course, you go to the world championships, and you watch 50 people play, you can very easily pick out which 10 are not from the U.S. And simply by (laughs) demeanor on the course, like Mm. how they handle and conduct themselves. And if that's a little bit of a rip on us, then it is. But it's it's totally true. Um, There's they just carry themselves very differently and and much more professionally, very generally speaking. So if I'm going to throw some stereotypes around, I love it. <laughs> is it a stereotype if it's, if it's a, is it a stereotype if it's true? Is that, is yes, that what they said? <laughs> Just saying. Uh, I'll never forget playing in Japan. And when, when I was done with one of the rounds, somebody had thanked me for the round. And that's something that I'll never forget. Uh, they said, you know, mm. thank you. And, um, I've carried that with me for many years. It's just totally different level of respect for each other and for the game uh, in a lot of the countries, as opposed to sometimes what we see here. Anyway, (laughs) Uh, let me, let me uh, sidetrack just for a moment. And I, and I know, you know, we're talking, you play and we're talking disc golf, but you, you did touch on it. I think Zoe, you touched on it briefly that, uh, ultimate is you know is kind of right now under the umbrella it's probably under the just the entire frisbee umbrella that is you know in canada um but mark i want to ask just briefly uh, how how is how serious and this is a totally legit naive question i know i'm not just playing dumb here um how how serious is ultimate taken in canada and and is it at a level that we you want to see disc golf get to or surpass <laughs> Or is it not taken that seriously in the first place? Like, you know, yeah. How is it recognizing Canada? <laughs> I probably have a little bit of a bias. It's my answer, but I'm going to do my best to answer it for you as honestly as possible. I, I would partly say it depends where you're from. And I am from just outside of Winnipeg, Manitoba, which is known to have some of the best ultimate players in Canada. <laughs> so okay. there might be a little okay. bit of a bias there. It is because it's partly because it's really windy. 
in Manitoba because uh, there's it's just flat and when it blows it's just really windy <laughs> uh, and that allows us to we have to be really good handlers of the disc because of the wind and so what ends up happening is people who grow up playing in Manitoba uh, become really good at throwing the disc because we've had to read the wind and then when we travel and you go oh this is easy because there's no wind it's almost like playing indoors um <laughs> we've done really well in addition to that we have ultimate in our school system uh not in all schools systems but in winnipeg specifically there is ultimate within the school system and that that was game changing for the growth of the sport in manitoba again now i have a little bit of bias because my best man at my wedding has been to four world championships with team Canada ultimate. <laughs> so okay, I have okay. a little bit of a bias uh, from that perspective and that I'll give him a shout out. Brad Gerbrandt is his name. He's also now become a very good disc golfer and it's really frustrating because he started like a year behind me and he's better than me now. So, <laughs> but he's also <laughs> thrown tens of thousands more discs than I have being a, a world level ultimate player. So yeah, I, there is definitely a sport uh, a good level of sport within Canada for ultimate. Um, if we're looking at it from a big picture perspective, the way it currently structured is with if being the sort of governing organization from a world perspective. And then ultimate Canada is the organization that's recognized from a Canadian perspective. And now that's where we're trying to work together with, to get like a disc golf association, a Canadian disc golf association uh, sort of paralleled with ultimate uh, because Ultimate has already accomplished all those pieces. So Ultimate has a, a long-term athlete development pathway and they have coaching pathways and um, they have recognized uh, programs and that allows them in Canada specifically, a lot of those things are really helpful in getting into schools and, and that kind of stuff. So the sport is at that level in Canada where it is recognized and it is played um, and like I said, there's probably a bias for me. I, uh, I mean, I have lived in other provinces, but as somebody who grew up in Manitoba and did play ultimate, when I went to these other provinces, I was always interested in seeking out ultimate communities as well. So I did find them when I was in the some of the other places that I've lived um, as well. But I would say that overall, I think that Canada has a very healthy ultimate community in the sport. The sport does really does very well. Um, and part of that has to do with the integration of the sport into the school system. And then also having a strong club level um, with the opportunities to be able to play at uh, national events and international events. Uh, so with all of that, I mean, to me, that's good news. And I know you, you know, you were trying to grow disc golf specifically, but to know that they're, whether you call it a, a sister sport or, or a cousin sport or whatever, to know that, as you said, that pathway that has been blazed and, and set and has been successful, it, now finding a, a similar but different sport to also bring it through all of those processes. Yeah, that has to be, you know, I mean, the groundwork's been laid and, and you're not introducing a completely wild or foreign object or, or a crazy, yeah. you know, uh, off the wall, you know, 100, 180 degree different, you know, tangented, if that's the word, tangential, <laughs> uh, like concept, like it, it's a Frisbee related sport that's played differently, yeah. but it's, you know, it, it's still in that family. So to yeah, me, that absolutely. sounds positive. Yep, for sure. Absolutely. 
Yep. Okay. Uh, and then Zoe, Dustin, I, I, in an, I know it's kind of a side topic to that, but do you, do you guys get confused regularly with, with ultimate? Um, what's kind of your, I'll say a stock answer when somebody feels like they, they think they're, they're trying to learn about ultimate, but they're really learning about disc golf. Like, is there ever any of that confusion? And then, you know, what are some of your resources uh, or, or, you know, I don't want to say deflections, but how do you still assist people that are probably maybe also looking for the, uh, you know, the other Frisbee related, the other F word, the other Frisbee related uh, activity? Um, Okay. Yeah. Good question. So in all of our experience so far, whether it be at the youth level or with teachers um, and coaches, everybody relates to ultimate because they know a little bit about it or for the most part they've heard of it. Um, for some people you hear them say, is that the one that's like soccer, but you're throwing instead you're running all the time back and forth. There's a goal. And I'm like, yeah, that is. And I said, and have you ever heard of golf? And people are like, Oh (laughs) yeah. And our stock answer is we're the sport with throwing frisbees or discs and playing it just like golf. And you're talking about the really cardio and athletic running sport where there's a goal on each side and teams. This is an individual sport. And for the masses, you know, you can play, you can play it doubles or in teams, but is most often played individually. And, and once you start going, comparing disc golf to golf and ultimate Frisbee to something more like soccer, the, the light bulbs happen naturally. Um, and then the other, the other person, I really do have to give a shout out cause I've had multiple high school aged students, specifically young men reference Brody. Oh my gosh. I watched Brody on YouTube. He can throw so yeah. well and so far and all these trick shots. I'm excited to try your sport too. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I have, I have to, you know, I have to give that shout out. Um, and when, when I have Ella, with me in classes. I have up, up in Alaska last year, I brought in a couple ultimate lids. I introduced Ella. I introduced her credentials as a two-time world champion and collegiate champion and ultimate. And then I have Ella throw a hyzer throw with an ultimate lid and hyzer forehand. And the kids watch it. And then they all are like, wow, wow, that's so crazy. It's almost the same, but these discs are so much smaller. And so I feel like the connections are all made and the differentiation happens naturally. So it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. I would, uh, I would, I would give a shout out to this may sound strange is George Costanza as well in that. that, that, Yes. Yes, exactly. So when, when you just did the uh, April fool's day, I, I really enjoyed that. Actually, that was a really good, uh, you frolf, um that they did but i honestly like that's how a lot of people ask me they're like oh you mean frolf if that mm-hmm. helps you understand it sure yes <laughs> yeah, yeah and so. and again you know people like johnny and i have been around long enough we, we've heard it called all the different things and also i mean we're still any one of us has probably heard somebody in in your uh 
around you say something, oh, I thought my dad invented this, you know, and like it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, well, yeah, my dad's been playing forever, like for like six years, you know, and it's like, no, 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 there's, there's a little more history to it. But nonetheless, <laughs> as, as long as you understand what we're talking about, um, and, and that's that conversation has gotten easier, and I think we can all agree on that. I, I mean, when I started, it was what are those deer feeders or what are those bird cages or what are those grills, you know, out in the park, you know, parks. And I'd even hear that at, at FIAD shows, at, at trade shows, at conventions. And now people know exactly and they, they recognize the difference between, you know, a, a Mach 10 and a Mach 7 on like the board right now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's it's it's pretty crazy to see how we've all evolved in in so many of those ways, which is awesome. Uh, I know one, one guy really go ahead. Oh yeah. One really cool thing is when we first started going into schools, you know, one of our intros when we get there is like very first thing, how many of you even know what disc golf is? Thank and you. just raise your hand. And when our first couple years, we'd get no, crickets, maybe a hand, maybe a kid would see another kid raise their hand and raise their hand just because they're raising their hand. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like actually nowadays, specifically, let's go back to Tyler, Texas, which has a really good disc golf scene. I'd say over half the kids every period raise their hand like, oh, I know Lindsay Park. I go there once a week. I've played there before. And so it's like just in our little amount of time going into schools and teaching disc golf, the recognition is there. The growth is like happening in front of our eyes. So it's it's really cool. And just to see where it's going and how we can help it excel to that next level where we get 100 percent hands up. Yeah, I think I think that's yeah. our best test, you know, actually, because from our first school in 2014 or 13 public school anyways, nobody raised their hands. And it was like that all the way up to through like 2019 and the pandemic, you know, happens and then disc golf explodes. We get back into schools the second half of last year, which was the fall school year of 2021. And then I, we, we continue to ask that same question hands up and it's just incredible. And then back to what you were just saying, Terry, a lot of times I will have kids or adults say, Oh, you mean Frisbee golf? And again, for all, you know, I hear that all the time, but I you know what? That name's correct, too. That's where we started. The game evolved from Frisbee golf to disc golf, and that gives me a whole history lesson on the beveled edge in 1983. <laughs> you know, and so yeah. you guys ended up when it was Frisbee golf. I, I was born the year the disc was invented. So it's like everything's meant to be, and we Frisbee is actually correct, but disc golf is more correct. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, it's uh, it's it's been certainly an incredible ride and journey. Um, what what would you say is next, uh, Mark, in, in terms of what's like the first thing you have to tackle right now? I know I, I asked about you know things on the horizon <laughs> and whatever, but what would you say is the is what's like literally step whatever it is in the process twenty two tomorrow? But what what's the very next step for you? 
Are you talking like with regards to my relationship with you play and what we're doing or just yeah, in general? And, and how, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, no, no, I, th- I, I think you would, uh, you would exhaust me telling me about all the other 119 things you're, you're actively pursuing and uh, advancing in. No, with you play, what, what kind of is the, the very next, um, you know, progressive step for you guys? En Francais. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> yeah. So we have two official languages here in Canada, and if we're going to be recognized by Sport Canada, everything we do has to be in both official languages. So we are currently wow. going through the process of translating the UPlay guide into French. <laughs> okay, and yeah. is is that get? Uh, uh, contracted out is that something you do or are you uh do, are you an overseer <laughs> on that for for a few of the uh, you know and what does heiser trans uh translate into i guess that's the ultimate question right yeah so my understanding is heiser translates into heiser uh je parle en petit okay. français so okay. my um but yeah, I'm not doing that. Um, we are going to be contracting that out. <laughs> okay. Okay. We actually yeah. do have disc golf community members, both in Canada and the United States, that are players. They enjoy tournament play and do. they're well-versed in French, and they want to be yeah. kind of second editors. So we do get to reach within our disc golf community after the translation has been done. And invite some members in to make sure it's it's really what we wanted to say. Yeah, yeah. And so okay. part of that as well is in partnership with the booklet that we're putting out is we're also bringing out a video series uh, that's coming as well. And those all those videos also have to be in both official languages. So <laughs> there's work to do for that aspect of things as well that we're working on right now. Okay, so, now... Uh, I, I guess this is a, a little bit more of a generic question in that is, is funding like, wh- how does funding tie into it? How can people support, um, you know, what, what's kind of the next steps with that? Does this get funded then ultimately uh, through the government or through the schools or are you guys relying still potentially on donations by manufacturers and or by households? How does, how does that kind of progress forward? Yeah, really. Really good question. So again, as part of part of how this works within Canada is that once you get recognized as an official NSO, which is the process that uh, Candiscolf is going through with all of this stuff right now, once you're a recognized NSO by Sport Canada, you're able to apply for grant funding through the government. And that opens up some really big doors. Until that point, though, however, you're uh, sort of functioning on a grassroots budget. Now, we've structured our deal with Can Disc Golf in such a way that it's not breaking anybody's bank account to be able to do this because we wanted it to be successful for us. We wanted it to be successful for them. And when an organization is starting out at the grassroots level, there isn't a lot of money available. And so we structured our financial deal with them in such a way is that we're going to be able to recover uh, financially, essentially, through people registering to be able to take to go through the program that we are creating. So uh, if people are interested, the best way to sign up or support us would be to sign up and actually taking the courses through Candice Golf. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like it. And what give everyone 
what what do you feel like would be an average training time or expectation? Are people setting aside a, a four hour morning? Are they setting aside uh, eighty hour, you know, two two forty hour work weeks? Like, if you had to, when it's all said and done, what are what are you what are people should be? What Lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah. I know we never uh, stop learning, right? Is, is yeah. Quote or something. Yeah. So I, I, I'll give you the I'll give you the more technical answer, and then yeah, we can maybe uh, dive into the other stuff. But the the in response to the RFP, we were asked to put together something that was a two to three hour sort of learning block for okay. people to go through. Now, with that said, there are some sort of caveats to doing what, what that actually looks like. It's going to be sort of a two to three hour teaching piece that we'll go through with them. So that is, that's including the Uplay content and some of the videos and some of those other pieces, but there will be a little bit more to it than that. Uh, so again, in partnering with the coaching association of Canada and wanting to keep in line with what's happening with uh, sports across Canada, there are certifications that are required even at that level one stage. So for example, we have something here in Canada called Respect in Sport. And it's an online course that people can take and that you get, you, it's valid for five, I believe it's five years, it's three to five years it's valid for. And that goes on your sort of permanent transcript that you've taken in this coaching certification called Respect in Sport. And it's universal. You can't, you cannot be a coach in any sport in Canada without having gone through that respect and sport designation. And so we have included that as part of the education that we're asking people who want to be disc golf coaches to go through as well. There's other, another piece as well um, called making ethical decisions. And it has to do with obviously making ethical decisions and how to conduct yourself ethically as a coach and maybe how to deal with some difficult decisions um, and those types of pieces. And so we're asking people to go through that as part of the program as well. And so those pieces are, there's a time component to those. They're not super long in the time component that's asked for those as well, but they're, they are part of the curriculum. So at the end of the, the end of the day, once everything is kind of said and done, because there is also a component where we're going to be asking people to, uh, sort of film themselves coaching and submit uh, to the the Can Disc Golf Education Committee for evaluation. Uh, so when everything is all said and done, it's probably going to be what would you say, Zoe, Dustin, maybe five to eight hours in all total. Once everything is kind was, of completed, I was going to say up to ten hours. So you're probably yeah. Yeah. we're on the same path, which is great. Yeah, <laughs> we're in good sync there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Perfect. And that's just to be a level one coach. Yeah, and Terry, that, yeah. that's just a. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> We're trying to limit the barriers as much as possible. Like we want this to be accessible for gym teachers and like club coaches, and like we want it to be as accessible as possible, uh, entry level as possible. Remove as many barriers as possible while still still keeping in line with the expectations that are required by the bigger governing piece of sport Canada. So the disc golf portion, we've kept it sort of as, as small as we can, but also have to tack on some of these other pieces uh, just to give a sort of an overview of what that really briefly looks like is that somebody will go through the course and get the materials. And once they've gone through the course and got the materials, they're considered what's considered certified in that they've, I'm going to have to get that. I'm going to have to go back and look at my own paperwork now. I can't remember which way. It's certified or trained. 
Um, I think it's trained. So they've been trained in the, the information. And then once they've actually completed sort of the practical pieces that are attached to it, then they actually are going to be considered certified uh, as a coach. So there's a two-stage process to that certification that happens with them as well. It's what I'm when I'm hearing a lot of this, I'm I'm rewinding to a few years ago and I had the pleasure of going to uh, watch the Australian watch and film and work the Australian disc golf championships. And it was interesting to me to hear how much the government was involved in just kind of the oversight of the professional sport, really almost at every level. I don't want not just professional um, in terms of the players, but just sport in general. And I feel like I, it feels very similar to what I'm hearing from Canada. Then I compare it and contrast that to, you know, United States and somebody, you know, created a, some new sport in the last five minutes since we've, you know, been here uh, on, uh, on the podcast. And, and the oversight that is or isn't involved, the regulations, obviously we all know that red tape can really trip things up. But at the same time, there's a lot of things that are a huge benefit to the overall growth of the sport and to the players, the individuals, the coaches, the teams, and everyone else involved. And it just, I guess it, it, again, I'm making the comparison because it feels so much more professional and satisfying and probably then ultimately a little bit more fulfilling. Am, am I, yeah. am I projecting? Am I making any, does, you know, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. No. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want to ask uh, a bit of a smart aleck question right now, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, whatever, we're all friends here. We we can talk. Uh, um, Dustin, Zoe, uh, what I want to ask you guys is what I uh, yeah, Mark's great, and he's gonna like teach everybody in Canada how to play disc golf. But uh, what what um, is what's the next step for you guys outside of the, the weekend, the week out, the 15, the 22 elite series events, what's, what's kind of the next bigger picture item here that uh, you play is, is looking to. Well, obviously we talked a lot about our partnership with the pro tour and it's making sure that the community connect program um, I always use the term self-driving car, but become sustainable with a staff okay. volunteer system so that in the event that we might get old and pass on someday, this is still going to happen forever. I'm really going to stay this age forever. So I don't know what you guys are doing. <laughs> You've been doing it. Yeah. You haven't aged in like seven years since we had you on the show no. way back in the day. So still we're good 22. There. We love it. Still 22. <laughs> <laughs> but um, making sure that all of you plays trial and error just to get where we are um, remains in motion and sustainable. So that starts literally with okay. our, our partnership and programs with Pro Tour. Um, and then literally creating, uh, continuing the creation of a professional model and professional training. So this is kind of a, a big, again, first time we're telling the world about this. Um, our work with Can Disc Golf and, and with CCA is so, so, so important um, for all the reasons that we've discussed tonight. But how are we going to get to that third level? First level being community coaches, second level, some advanced training, and then these elite or professional coaches. And 
I've decided that, you know, I haven't had a coach in a long time and I don't think Dustin has either. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily like, Hey Mark, can you reteach me a hyzer? It's Hey Mark, can we hash out every piece of how our outside of disc golf training went, our diet, how our on-course practices went, how our on-course tournaments went. And now we're building an educational database that we can contract and work from and build from for those professional level and elite coaches. And to me, that's the ultimate goal to work towards as it always was. I just didn't know it was going to come in this format. I had no idea that we would have such an, an honor and a blessing to be able to get into partnership like this. And I always knew that I wanted to teach disc golf to the whole world. I just didn't really know how that was going to happen in my, my time here. And now I actually see a streamlined method to get there because I really do want disc golf for everybody. So you plays focuses are to make sure that weekend fundraiser tournaments are happening. The community connect is continuing forever. Just like NBA cares all of the things are happening and these the coaching inside of educational organizations and beyond in the, in the out of school or out of scholastic programs to create junior level all the way to adult age clubs in competition mode and, and that's that's where we're heading Terry we're we're going to make sure that the world has the option to do it right uh, and that's going to be one of my final questions as we start to wrap up is, again, such a tie to the schools and this, I think, of school districts. And, of course, you guys um, can work with park districts and, and other organizations. But when it's not school aged, where how do you where do you direct people? What do you offer to them? What's the solution when we're not talking about when we're talking about, frankly, someone older than 18 or, or older than 22? What is is the answer when when referencing you play or, or relating it back to you play? What would you if I came to you and said, "Hey, I I run a uh, I run a fun I run a summer camp, and it's all for adults that range from the age of twenty eight to thirty eight." Um, what's you play's answer or solution? Awesome, we're doing it this year. So okay. Um, <laughs> School doesn't happen in the summertime and we still have a few elite series stops. So we are literally trying a whole handful of different things. One linking up with other sports camps to give you a break from that activity and those muscle groups, you know, try not disc golf. So sport, other sports camps, um, religious affiliations, there's always mm-hmm. certain, you know, kind of church camps, Christian camps, YMCA's. Like that's YMCA's, which we, we just we got did to do. In, in Waco because they were on spring break. So we went into their <laughs> YMCA and joined their spring break camp. Yep. And, and then boys and girls clubs. Boys and girls clubs. And yep. then, yep. Um, you know, there's a lot of elder programs. So um, not necessarily, yep. I don't have experience yet going into nursing homes, but there are tons of. Um, care facilities and retirement more so facilities that are always looking for more activity and it's reaching out to activity directors or um, activity coordinators and a lot of the time you're going to get attention of those people through 
corporate wellness because corporate wellness wants to bring you into their business, wants to spread their funding to be able to find athletic or healthy ways for people to enjoy the outdoors and do something physical. And so this all ties together for people older than 18 um, in any way that they're interested. I also want to point out that special needs, we've, we've been completely yep. successful. There's a blind community that we, we all know. Uh, the deaf disc golf community worldwide is it's pretty expansive. And then just from the work that we've done in schools with the special, special education programs, they can all do it in their own fashion or in their own way, no matter how far down the spectrum or lightly they suffer. Disc golf doesn't discriminate. So when people yep. say, you know, how do I get it? Say, well, there's a teaching guide, there's some videos, and there's more coming down the way. But it really is, yep. it's about not just teaching in schools. It's about giving it a try everywhere. Um, this yeah. this is also close to my heart, but um, youth correctional facilities, which tells me that eventually other correctional facilities will also be picking this up. Yeah. If, yeah. if I can I, tack I, on a little bit to that as well, if that's okay. Do. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so my full-time day job is a fitness coordinator with the Canadian Armed Forces, and I get to do some pretty fun stuff with that. But <laughs> uh, one of the stuff that we get, one of the things that we have on base uh, in Canada, uh, across all the bases in Canada, something, a program called Soldier On, and that is working with veterans or people who are still enrolled uh, within the armed forces and and they were able to use the sport of disc golf as an opportunity for them to work through maybe some of the psychological or physical issues that they're experiencing uh, as a soldier. And as such, there is, I'm helping courses be built on bases here in Canada as well. So the base that in my hometown of Winnipeg, uh, we've got a course on the base there, the court, the base that here now I work at in, in Alberta, we have a course on the base and, uh, we're starting to look at, I got an email last week saying, hey, we've got a course on our base and you have a course on your base. Let's start having some interbase competitions yeah. with each other. <laughs> so um, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for uh, not just schools to be able to, for people to be able to do this kind of stuff where we can bring in some of these education pieces at these other places. Uh, I would say that within... Uh, the club system uh, as well. That's a, a large way that sport is uh, utilized uh, in, I would say Canada and in Europe, the club program is a lot different. The The education system in schools is different in Europe in that it's not, uh, sport is not done the same way in schools as it is in Canada and the United States. And it's done a lot through clubs in Europe. And I would say that that is also another avenue that we're going to be having to explore uh, to get the some of the information out. And um, I'm just going to share this a little bit. If I'm not sure if it was 100% clear, so I'm going to touch on it again real quick. Uh, I have the been given the privilege with uh, Zoe and Dustin asking me to be their coach uh, for the season. And so I'm not sure if that was totally came across in what they were saying, but uh, I'm going to be working with them from a coaching perspective where I'm going to be... A, uh, using the education and experience that I have from uh, my background to be able to connect with them and hopefully help them achieve the best performance possible. And, and ultimately, that's what I'm looking at doing with my doctorate program is looking at how we can uh, have those athletes performing at the highest level. And then even if we 
we've got then that whole spectrum where we've got the the entry level programs happening uh, in the school system, but then working all the way up to the elite athletes and and really digging into the performance that's happening at the elite level. And it's a real pleasure and a privilege to be able to say that uh, Dustin and Zoe have asked me to do that. And I really look forward to it, um, that journey together with them. Uh, yeah, that's incredible. And I'm, I'm excited to, yeah, to hear uh, what you're learning, but also what they're learning, you know, as the year goes on and then what your findings are and, and the write up from it. And I, so, I mean, they're like figuratively your lab rats. I mean, in, in your <laughs> <best> cases <laughs> that are going to be traveling around the country playing disc golf. And uh, no, it, that is super exciting. And I think what's even maybe more intriguing about it is you're going to be working with two professionals. And it'd be one thing if it was, you know, uh, someone that was brand new to the game and there's this obvious learning curve and natural prog- progression. Here, you're talking about uh, a couple of elite level players that you're trying to find maybe finely tune or observe, but, and then finely tune uh, where they're already at. And I think that's honestly, I think that's really exciting because I mean, as these guys can attest to, and I think our disc golf world knows a lot of players get to a plateau or, you know, the learning curve, just kind of the success success curve. I don't know. It just slows down at a certain point. And it's like, Hey, what do I need to go from, 10, 10 to 10, 20 or 10, 10, 10, 20 to 10, 40 or whatever those numbers are. Everybody yeah. has those little plateaus and um not saying you guys have plateaued, but <laughs> it's going to be great to see what little or major steps can take you guys to the next level. That's, that's exciting. Well, we've seen in golf Uh-oh. the different, different uh, coaches <laughs> that have for, for specific things, whether it's for like a putting coach or a driving coach. And I, that's yep. an area in disc golf that I think can easily be expanded even for our top pros. You know, going to someone yep. to figure out why you have whatever hitch in your step or hitch in your putt or anything like that. I, I believe that's a, an area we've seen a, a lot of people come out with, you know, teaching beginners how to get started, whether it's, you know, you play yeah. or, you know, uh, specific coaches, you know, we've seen a lot of pros that'll drive around and they'll do clinics for, for players who are maybe like nine thirty, nine forty. but we don't see a lot of coaching for your upper echelon players. So I don't even yeah. know if, so, if it's well, something that, uh, that people have are, are able to do yet without, without some sort of experience. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. just to be, just to be clear on that, go ahead, Dustin, go ahead. I'm just saying every elite athlete in every sport has a coach and it's like, yeah, they might like their coach is nowhere near how good they are at their sport, but they still need that other point of view, some other outside influence to take them to that next level. And that's what we're building with Mark. And that's really exciting stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm not teaching them how to throw a disc any better. That's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, I mean clearly the you know what you what you guys talk about and discover and then grow and expand upon. I mean, I'm just saying if their ratings go down, mm, you're in <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's yeah. all we're saying here. <laughs> no, yeah. and I I really I, I can't thank Mark enough for accepting us as as some lab rats as Terry put it, but you know, I, I really, I have to say that in this whole journey with you play, 
I am definitely doing what I was called to do on this earth by coaching and teaching. But it has certainly taken me. In 2018, I was your world putting champion. I was fifth in the nation and sixth in the world in my rankings. And since then, I've kind of slowly uh, stepped backwards or whatever, plateaued, as you put it. And I also didn't even recognize that a lot of my inner inside and my personal drive to win professional contests took a back seat to the work I'm doing. And that had to happen, obviously. But I'm never going to have this time in my life and be in these places that I'm at. I'm contracted to be at every elite series for crap sakes. And so for the ones that I'm playing, I don't want to just go through the motions. And already just in a, a few nights worth of work with Mark, <laughs> I... I, I feel that that athlete that's kind of been asleep for a little while. I feel her waking up and I, that's me. And I get to, I get to have that passion cup be fed for myself inside. And I think that, I think that everyone needs to fill their cup in order to continue to progress. And, and you play is blowing up in a great way, but it's going to hit its mark unless I can continue to grow. And this is the answer for sure. And we, we can't take you play to the next level if we don't love what we do, you know, and that's the key. We love disc golf. That's why we're sitting here and been here for 14 years. But you, you know, can't like, forget. Yeah. You can't forget what it feels like to bang an 80 footer, to bang a hundred footer, yeah. 80, 100, 100. <laughs> <laughs> a 30 meter or one from 30 meters, right? We got to do this. I'm be talking in um, a different metric a lot more often. Too. Hey, our book is written <laughs> yeah. in meters, by the way, yep. just so you know. <laughs> Makes perfect but, uh, sense. Well, I, I don't – yeah, I was just going to yeah. say, Zoe, I don't think it could be said any better uh, than, than how you just said it. I love it. Um, if it's all right, Mark, I want to give you the final word. Anything you want to say, whether it's to the world or to our smashies or, or potential supporters or – uh, any of the floor is yours. Anything you want to say before we let you guys go? I would just say that to go out there and, and be your best self in whatever you're choosing to do. Um, and that uh, as per the conversation that we had is just to be as professional as you can in what you're doing. And that there's always an opportunity to leave a positive impression on somebody. And I really appreciated the story you shared, Terry, with uh, the person that you met in Japan, you're shaking your hand and just saying, thank you for playing. We can all do that uh, in every aspect of our life and everything that we're doing, not just on the disc golf course. And that'd be my encouragement to everybody is that we can always be a positive influence to those around us and even strangers that we meet. I so I couldn't good. agree. And I, I would highly suggest you don't watch any more of our podcast then because usually it goes <laughs> off the rails. Professionalism. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but seriously, thank you, uh, Zoe, Dustin. You guys have any final words uh, or to share with us before we let you go? I always have more. No, but I, I want everyone out there. I want to thank everyone for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to share some of the information that you learned, and if you want to keep updated and, and live on what we're doing, follow you play on Instagram, Facebook. Follow our website. It's youplaydiscgolf.org, the letter U, playdiscgolf.org. And our YouTube videos, our selection is, is quite small at this point, but 
if you want to smile or you want to have a really interesting and happy dinner conversation, watch some of those videos now and then make sure you keep up with them because a whole lot more really good content will be on there and you guys will be the first to see it. So stay tuned for our teaching guide. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. I love it. Yes. Let us know immediately when that's out. We want to make sure we uh, promote the heck out of that when uh, when it first drops and we can talk about it again on the show. So, well, guys, we're going to thank you. You guys got to get ready. I know we got some uh, some major championship golf to play in the next couple of days. That's coming up tomorrow. Press conference. Uh, Mark, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for your insights. I'm I'm sure you have like a whole list of things you need to go get done yet anyway. uh, (laughs) What I hear of your agenda. So uh, but Seriously, thank you for joining us. And and as always, you guys always have an open invite here. Uh, any any developments, major or minor, you want us to pass them on or you want to jump back on with us, you guys are always welcome. And we appreciate you guys for joining us tonight. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, thank you very much for being on the show. Always. Thanks, guys. Yes, thank you all, all right, guys. All right. Looking forward to it. More you play. Thanks so much. Uh, we'll talk to you guys in the next couple of days. See ya. What a crew. What a crew. Go bunch yeah, of go-getters, like some, Terry. Bunch of go-getters. I was just gonna say, <laughs> I feel like I, I should be doing some jumping jacks while we're talking or something now, darn it. Uh, uh wow, uh, awesome, awesome uh success. And then obviously it all comes with we know there's no shortage of dedication, we know there's no shortage of excitement, enthusiasm, but then to see that all come to fruition, to see that all uh tie together, to be in the right place with the right opportunities. Uh, it's it's absolutely incredible. So uh, we of course appreciate Dustin and Zoe for giving us the the updates and the insight, but then also uh, Mark tying it all together as well. As sounds like disc golf in Canada is going to become uh, taken to a whole new level on on so many uh, yeah in so many different ways. It's awesome to see. So yeah, certainly. Uh, is. I'm, Johnny, I'm looking, I say I was gonna say I'm looking forward to getting the book. Honestly, I I want to I want to pick one of those up the the UDisc book for for teaching. You need so. you definitely need. Some I mean, tips. I, I I need it myself. <laughs> yes, I know. But no, that's. <laughs> uh, I say we close things out for the regular show, and then the after yep. show is our our uh, champions cup chatter which may or may not go too long anyway. But I say we just uh, we make this cut and dry. It's its own podcast. It's a ton of great information. Uh, we don't need to muddy the waters with any of our other nonsense. So uh, we'll leave as is with uh, everything that people were able just to uh, consume and take in right there. Sound good? That sounds great to me. All right. So with that being said, we're going to call the regular show. We're going to jump into the after show. As we said, we can throw it all professionalism at that point. But uh, we have to thank uh, the incredible crew that we just talked to and Mark, Zoe, along with Dustin Keegan, giving us some great insight. Literally, we're spanning across the uh, the entire North America uh, lands here. And it's pretty incredible to um, get those updates. So for Johnny V, myself, Terry Miller, the disc golf guy, that was episode 398. Stick around. We're going to have a Champions Cup preview. That's going to be our entire after show. We'll see you then when you step inside the Smashbox. Thank you to our $2 and above patrons. Your name is listed below in the credits. If you are interested in being listed as a producer in the Smashbox TV credits and supporting this and other fine podcasts, please visit patreon.com slash Smashbox TV. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Smashbox TV's podcast, 398's After After Show. Show.
Joe. Don't pretend like we can't sync it up, Terry, just because we're in different areas. Joe. Joe. Yes. Uh, here we are. It's the after show. We just got done speaking with Dustin, Zoe, and Mark talking all about the Uplay update. Some incredible things going on. If somehow you didn't hear it or you missed out on it, make sure you go back and give that a listen. But right now, here in the after show, the we'll say the meat and the potatoes here of the show. We'll quickly talk about the PDGA major. We'll also maybe recap a few things we saw over the weekend. Uh, let, let's start there. This last weekend, Johnny. PDGA. Oh, I thought you pro tours. I thought you wanted to talk about uh, the P, the PGA masters or something. I wasn't sure. <laughs> oh, I, I'm good. I, this is almost silly to admit. I couldn't name the winner because that's, Unfortunately, how much I paid attention to it. I but I do know T- Tiger finished in forty seventh or forty sixth. So what he, does that tell you? He made the cut, which was okay, yep. phenom- and then phenomenal, shot, and then okay, shot two yep. piss poor rounds. To be honest, okay. uh, his first his first okay, round well, he was only three strokes or four strokes off the lead. I think is what it okay. was, and he was looking good. And then after that, he kind of the second round was a little worse, and the third round was a little worse than that, and the fourth round, I guess, was just like his worst ever at the Masters or something ridiculous. Mm. Um, I mean, just as everyone said, just the fact that he was able to make it out there on a, a kind of a bum leg and shoot the way he did, I think the the just the length of those things that just eventually got to him and. He he couldn't putt. I watched a lot of his highlights. Oh, really? Yeah, it just he even said it felt like putting practice because he was <laughs> yeah yeah. He said it felt like putting practice because he was putting so much. A couple three and four putts. <laughs> it, yeah, it, he he had a good sense of humor about it. But I mean, he was hitting the ball pretty well. It looked like just couldn't putt it. So anyway, we're not oh, really he was here striking about striking it, striking the ball. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, the uh, Scott Scheffler ended up winning the masters he's the number one he's the number one rated player in the world right now i watched a lot of masters this weekend where was he before the weekend number one rated he was he was number one again shows you my disconnect from from and i only know that because they showed the graphic about a dozen times that he he became the number one rated player i think it was like 42 days before the masters he's the quickest Mm. to win a major after becoming the number one player, I think Tiger was the second quickest at like 260 days or something crazy like that. So either way, he looked like he's pretty good. So. Yeah. Sometimes stats, I think, are obviously incredible and amazing, and I love it when they're just fed to me and I'm not researching them. Sometimes I think they're just so wildly useless and, not, not stats. Th- that, Stat- that one. I know. I know. And I know they're totally. I think some of the facts, some of the facts are useless. Not the stats. The facts, which are slightly different. I think, like this okay, is okay. Sure. I, I mean, this. You're right. Like 42 days after becoming the number one player, if you know, if if he would have been the number one player, the you know, a couple days later, he had had to wait much longer for the next major or something dumb. I anyway. Yes. Just yeah. he. Uh, Everyone looks for something interesting, and that's why we have Statman. I, I know, I know. You gotta, you gotta twist it into something. Um, okay, well, so that's done. The Masters, which yep. coincidentally, I I can only assume, even the hotel room I was in probably went for 
three or four or $500 over the last few weekends. Certainly not the rate it's going for right now. Uh, as I am on the, I believe, the northwest side of Augusta right now, obviously the entire world moved out of this area. I can't I can't fathom what it would be like being here for and I know a couple of our golfers, Drew Gibson being one of them, were here this weekend. And a lot of our PDGA staff and people have had uh ties to being at the Masters in some capacity. Um I can't imagine what this place was like literally a week ago. Well, a friend and, of ours just the overall who is actually at the well, she was at least earlier today at the IDGC taking pictures was taking pictures at the masters. And that's Addie. Mm. You know, she's, you know, okay. she yeah. came down, came down for uh, am worlds and we've seen her. We, she was at a bunch of different worlds for many years. She's a photographer. She was just she a, vol- a volunteer yeah, was a PDJ staff member. Yep. For she's a, a PDJ staff member. So she, she was doing a bunch of pictures. She's every year. She's at the masters taking pictures and doing a lot of different stuff, but Let's talk a little bit about the Silver Series event that happened this past weekend. We saw the Open at Tallahassee at Tom Brown Park, DGC, which I assume stands for Disc Golf Center. I only care about one thing. Yes, Terry Was Miller? the ace hit? Was the ace no. hit? Was the, the ATV? Was that... Because <laughs> that the one it. time... You win the $25,000 ATV because you hit the ace. Is that the one time you can just go out and rip around on a course uh, after you've won that? And Do you, you just walk from hole one to, right to the ATV and that's and you just get to ride it the rest of the round? Just leave. Just, I know, no, no, I know no. Zach Melton said. Oh, you don't okay. leave. You ride it. You literally drive it to the next hole and that's every hole you get to drive around. <laughs> the on tee pad's like 48 <laughs> feet away and you just... <laughs> yes. uh, that's a good call uh, hold on i go back and get my atv sit tight uh what did zach mountain say uh, uh i i remember uh, one of the things i saw from the weekend was that zach mountain said uh i'm either gonna get an ace or a four on this hole uh meaning that he was gonna be running it hard and there's ob directly behind the basket with a not at you know super close putt so you know making the the par save for three is is absolutely obviously doable but um he was saying yeah it's either a one or a four is what he was going to get on that hole because he was going for the ace and that so, makes that makes a but lot of apparently sense. not hit that's what we're hearing not hit i think we all would have heard about it had it actually been hit um the winner and i don't know what he would have done if he would have hit an ace uh albert tom <laughs> <laughs> the bazooka he mm-hmm. uh he, he ends up taking this one shooting a, i mean it's tough to call because you know he he sh- he shot a, a mediocre final round it was like i think it was less than a thousand rated but he went into the round with a stick stroke lead was played very conservatively was able to kind of just walk this one in uh, matt matty o shot a 10 under a ridiculous round but still couldn't keep up with where uh what we're, we're where Tom was. So congratulations to Albert. Like I said, I don't know what he would have done had he won it. He probably would have had to hock it, take some cash, do something <laughs> because I, I believe the option was to get like the ATV or a, a like a $25,000 gift card for the store that gave away the ATV. So whatever he would have done, um, 
I would have loved to have known. But anyway, second place. Like I, I would said, just Matty love o. to see him drive the ATV around for the rest of the time here in the U.S. Yeah. Get it street legal, and then he's just driving that from event to event. Oh, he no, could, no top, just the roll cage. He he could he could come to uh, the studio, the Milwaukee studio, because all spring and summer long, Gary O. Like there, there's always people cruising up and down on their on their four wheelers. That's how Gary and I know it's spring because the ATVs come out. So. Uh, third place was one Alex Russell shooting a 17 under par Gannon Burr, the young gun 16 under in fourth place, fifth place, Alden Harris, who's had some pretty good events the last few weeks at these silver series and early season phenom Luke Humphreys tied for sixth with Thomas Gilbert, another Canadian. I can't get away from him Mm. and Emerson Keith tied for sixth. Tied for ninth, Casey White and Gavin Babcock. So congratulations to the top 10. Um, Albert just shot two phenomenal rounds and nobody could really catch him. He he put it out of reach for everybody. So Albert getting his, uh, his first win over here this year and a good, a good time to be warming up, I guess. I mean, if you're, if you're looking for some momentum as Ricky Wysocki likes to call it, this is the place to get it. Yeah. Um, and, and real quick, before we move on to the FPO, you, you mentioning the wins and the performances makes me do a quick time stamp to take a look at our 2022 Disc Golf Pro Tour standings on the MPO side. As of right now, after we have these Silver Series, these last two ser- Silver Series weekends in the books, uh, out in front, we still see Ricky Waisaki. He is your points leader at the moment with 218 points. Calvin Heinberg right behind him at two, we'll call it 208. Uh, Chris Dickerson at 202. Gannon Burr at 189. And Luke Humphreys at 175 with Paul McBeth at 172. So of course, someone like Paul McBeth who's sitting in six, didn't play in the LVC opener, didn't play in uh, two of the three silver series that have been uh, offered up, but yeah, Ricky Waisaki, your points leader with his 7th, 12th, 2nd, and 1st place finishes thus far. So, all right, move over to the M, uh, sorry, to the FPO. Some big news over there, wasn't there? Yeah, but real quick, before we move to FPO, I want to say one thing. He's a liar. Zach Melton. He literally parked the hole. No, I'm sorry. He took a three on his first round. Did not go OB. And he took a three second round. Did not go OB. And on the third round, he got a three. Did not go OB. I'm so, just I'm re- I'm just reading his Twitter or whatever he posted. Uh, and I thought it was in particular to the third round, but clearly it was a terrible run. So Zach, mm-hmm. get it together. Yeah, get, get your act together, Zach. Nick, that's if, that's if, what if, he had posted. If if you're gonna if you're gonna talk the talk, you better walk the walk, my friend. <laughs> All right, so FBO. Let's talk about FBO. Surprise, a uh, big upset, kind of great player, but uh, no one no one would have picked her to win this this weekend. Uh, Stacy Haas shoots an eleven under total uh, final round, smashing a seven under par. You know she did not have to walk it in like Albert did, and. Stacy is a a newer player. She's like 18 years old, sponsored by MVP. 
and I believe she was the, our junior world champion. Is that last year or the year before? I'm not 100% sure on that. She's got a number of titles. She has been a very quick up-and-comer, uh, and I think she has all but destroyed everything in uh, mm-hmm. Michigan yes. uh, for, for some time. We've seen her out here at a few Disc Golf Pro Tour. She's played every Pro Tour event this year, Elite or Silver Series. She's had a, a you know 29th in LVC, a 31st in Waco, a tied for 18th at Belton, a, t- a tied for 30th at Texas States, a 15th, and then says, yeah, F all that noise. Who needs the top 10? I'm going right for that number one spot. And uh, yeah, so previously tied for 18th and 15th. Those were her two best finishes previously at Silver Series events. And then she takes this one down. So super impressive. And congratulations to her. Not to take anything away from her win, but as we know, this is a Silver Series event. So a lot of our... Uh, players who have been finishing in the top three or four were not there. They were taking the week off to get ready for Masters Cup. I'm sorry, Champions Cup. I'm going to call it Masters Cup for some reason because the word cups in my head. Champions Cup, but not to take anything away, she shot phenomenally. Beat Valerie Mondahano by five strokes. Um, Jessica Weiss by five strokes. Those two were tied for second. And fourth place was uh, Maria Oliva at negative four. Tied with Kona Star Panis, who, as I remember last week, was my pick to win this. Um, so I don't feel too mm-hmm. bad considering she tied for fourth. Uh, Lisa Fakus as well tied for fourth at four under. And then after that, we have Holly Finley at negative one. Uh, Alexis Mondahano at even in eighth place. Uh, Chloe Alice in ninth place. And tied for 10th place, we saw Lindsay Fish and Sarah Hokum. So I'm... Uh, yeah, so Stacy Haas, what a, a great showing! I think there's a lot to come from her. She, I, I got to watch uh, the last, I'd say, third or maybe almost half of the FPO round. I was up in uh, up north, so I didn't have great uh, internet, so I was streaming it on my phone, using up my work data. Shh, don't tell them. Anyway, uh, Stacy looked great off the tee. Honestly, and she was dropping down some big putts all around. She had a chance at an eagle I saw on, I believe it was hole 13, and just a a mental lapse. I mean, literally, I think it was a 20-foot putt that she chained out and then missed the, like, she, she chained out on it and then missed the comeback to drop in for a par on a, when she had Mm. like a 20 or 25-foot putt for eagle I thought she had that wrapped up for an eagle the way she had been putting. It was really the 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 only mistake I think I truly saw her make. Um, just absolutely doing phenomenal things with the disc. So I'm excited to see how she plays here at WR Jackson. If she can keep up that mo- momentum, is our word, then I, I see her taking easily a top 10 out there. Yeah, I'm, and I'm, I'm just qu- real quick looking back. Uh, she... Last year, uh, long drive competition at Junior Worlds. She took first place at that. She took fifth at the putting. She took second at Junior Worlds uh, yes. last okay. year. But that, but then I tell you, scroll up and you see she picked up, I think, eleven wins in open in uh, FPO division at uh, various events in Michigan last year. She had a couple seconds in there, a couple thirds, whatever. But uh, picked up eleven wins. Yeah, doing some work, as I said, just terrorizing Michigan uh, largely last year, everywhere she played. Um, 
cashed in quite a few of those. So congratulations to her. Uh, I believe she was on the going to be slated for the Nick and Matt show. Uh, she would have been also a great guest for us to have as well tonight. However, I knew we were having Zoe and Mark and uh, Dustin. So, but I think the good news is uh, when you come out and you play that well and you clearly have that much potential, uh, I think there's going to be plenty of opportunities to be able to talk to her uh, in the future as well. So congratulations. Uh, Awesome, awesome. (laughs) There's never a bad time for a win. So as you would say, to to have her pick that up heading into uh, this upcoming weekend, pretty, pretty cool to see. All right. that's what we saw in terms of the Silver Series. Did you pay any attention to any other golf going on anywhere, Johnny? No. It was Silver Series and Masters. Okay. <laughs> That's really what I yeah, watched and took sense. care of this weekend. There wasn't uh, – I, I saw a lot of players posting on social media at WR Jackson kind of getting getting themselves ready for this course. Uh, this is going to be a – I mean, it's WR Jackson. It's always a grueling round. It is mm-hmm. difficult. It is long. It is heavily wooded. Uh, you're, I, I think we're going to see you're, you're going to see some players that you don't expect blow up and drop down the the, uh, the leaderboards. And I think you're going to see a couple. The way these courses are, you're going to see a couple players that you maybe wouldn't expect up in the top ten. Um, just that's the way these courses are. Uh, you can be off an inch, and it's going to cost you a bunch of strokes. You can be off ten feet. And you're going to get lucky through some of these trees. It's going to be interesting from a uh, a viewer perspective out here. But uh, WR Jackson, a highly regarded course. Everybody seems to love it. I, I'm excited to see it. It's uh, it's going to be fun. Well, taking a quick look, we you know I know there's a lot of conversation and speculation as to Eagle McMahon. Um, you know, we we talked. I think. It was just two weeks ago about him and his MRI. I have not heard of any other status update to that. I'm not sure that he's posted one. Uh, He is registered here at the event. We have three players, the top three rated players at this event. I assume the top three in the world then, uh, of course. Paul McBeth, Eagle McMahon, Ricky Waisaki, all coming into this event tied at 10.53, which is... Significant, but yet meaningless all at the same time. I understand that, but it's kind of, it's kind of, I don't want to say cute. It's just, it's, uh, it's interesting to see all three exact same rating. Kelvin Heimberg, I think, uh, bumps himself back into the 1050 club by hitting exactly 1050 again as of today's rating update. So Macbeth, McMahon, Waisaki, all 1053. Heimberg, 1050, and right behind them, Chris Dickerson at 1046. So those are your just simply highest rated players at the event. What is crazy about this event, Johnny, and I I don't think we can stress this enough. I know everyone had their various ways of getting in and, and getting their invite and qualifying. Three players, just three players out of 100, so 90 97% otherwise, three players are rated below 1,000. They're the three lowest rated players here. Um, Scott Conway, Lance Brown, and Nico uh, Rataya? Ratia? Uh, Ratia? Anyway, 
996, 993, and 990. It's not like they're not good players or great players, but only three. It, for was, sure, the stiffest competition, yes. the, the stiffest field of all time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Most certainly. This right? will This will probably be the highest. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Hands down. This is going to be. I mean, the, it has to be. The, the with only three players rated under 1,000. And for anyone wondering about the Eagle, F- I was going to say, for anyone wondering about Eagle, uh, Presnell on his Instagram showed that Eagle is out there playing and practicing. He's been mm-hmm. out on the course since Monday. We can only assume that he plans on playing. I mean, unless something happens otherwise, I don't know about his forehand. I don't know anything else about it. All all we know is that he's actually out there practicing and he's been radio silent. I, I have a I have something I want to ask you, but let's talk about FPO first, you said. Yeah, real quick, I want to jump over to FPO. Same thing you could say about the the fierceness of the competition page pierce 982 Kristen tatar 980 and then katrina allen evelina solonen both at 972 with henna bloomros and Haley king rated 970 so those are your top rating performers on the fpo side uh, 40 women which isn't our largest field and won't be the largest field of the year but it still has all the heavy hitters. I mean, we have uh, all three, I'll say, uh, of the of the most household names in terms of European women here in Tatar, Salonen, and uh, Hannah. Um, and then I know we also have KT and I think probably maybe one or two others. Yeah, KT, uh, Luca, and uh, Anakin Steen, who I believe has been featured on my channel as well uh, at one time or another. So uh, Luca and Anakin coming from Norway. So, yeah, international field, top women in the world. I mean, it, this is setting up for everything it should be in a PDGA major, right? Four rounds uh, over the three, uh, over the four days, four rounds over three days. Uh, here's my question that I think you would guess as hard as I would. There's no cut on Sunday, is there? I don't believe so, although I will say right now there should be. I completely agree. And I I have not heard. I only say that not not knowing because I didn't see anything in terms of a cut. I have not. I did a little bit of research the other night when I kind of just piqued my interest, but I, I don't think there's any cut, and I wish there was. Uh, let's get some of those players out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Let's brush off. The I, I, and to be clear, I would like to cut after three rounds. I know, you know, we're not, we're not golf here and uh, the masters and cutting after two rounds and into the weekend and all that stuff. But I think with a four round major on a, on a course this difficult, I would love to see a cut. And, and I will say that of any event that's four rounds or if an event is five rounds, mm-hmm. it should be cut after four, whatever. Um, so if anybody knows otherwise, please update me and Johnny because we're in the dark. But I believe there's no cut, and I wish there was. Correct. I have not heard of any cuts. I looked through the, the caddy book. It doesn't say anything about that. I looked at the event schedule, and it doesn't have any information about uh, any sort of cuts. All the tee times look to be the same uh, for every <laughs> single day. So the women are teeing off at between 8 a.m. and 9.48 a.m., which means that the broadcast will probably 12 go live. Twelve minute increments. Yep, probably go live at nine thirty a.m. 
as it usually does. And the men tee off from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., which means you'll probably see us go live at 2.30 uh, Eastern time. This is in the Eastern time yes. zone. So, uh, yeah, there should be a cut, period. That's all I'm saying. And there very well could be, and Johnny and I could just not be informed, which would not be the first time that we're underinformed um, or unknowing. But I, now, I didn't see anything that indicated uh, a cut line. Uh, Kenny asked three or four rounds. It is four rounds, which is why we're talking about a cut uh, that mm-hmm. should be there. But again, we haven't heard anything. I'll find out tomorrow and then report back next week <laughs> on Tuesday awesome. night. <laughs> awesome. So my question for you. I was thinking this the other day as I was thinking about this event and how cool it would be to play. And then I thought there's never a chance and I'm ever going to be able to play this event, which made me think about worlds. And I'm like, I can never play another pro worlds. Probably even if uh, it, with, with, because I don't believe I will ever be able to get to the skill level to be accepted into a pro worlds the way they fill up. And it made me a little sad thinking that you and I back in the day, you know, you'd either get your invite for Pro Worlds or, as I would have to do, um, register on when, when invites open and second, third, or fourth wave, whatever wave I got in on, to play Pro Worlds. And I, I, tru- yeah, and I truly And just to be clear, though. We won't be able to ever play Worlds again. Like, n- uh, not everybody can yeah. just play like it used to be. <laughs> well, Correct. Um, but to be clear, are you talking about you never being able to play in pro like pro worlds, open pro worlds, open or pro, pro masters worlds, open pro worlds? That 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 yeah, era no. that era I mean, is gone. Like no, I I can yes. get into that. I can get into that lazy pro masters worlds. Come on, uh, I don't know Jeez. if you could. <laughs> I don't think I. They could. probably have a special ban against your ass. <laughs> well, probably. Uh, um, but no, just in general, like just yeah, that, no. I was no, thinking that you shouldn't. No, I mean, no, I'm not saying, fair, right? I'm you not saying I should get into pro Absolutely worlds. not. Yeah. No, my, someone, my caliber right now rated yeah, 930 past that. Yeah, exactly. That our sport has evolved to a point where, um, it, you, you cannot, someone of our caliber is no longer accepted in these type of <laughs> events. And it's, it's sad on one hand and it's great on the other. I mean, I shouldn't be allowed. No one wants to see someone like me hold up the course as someone of a nine thirty or nine forty or even nine sixty rated should not be playing pro worlds. It's just a different environment. And someday you're going to be able to tell somebody I played in pro worlds and they're going to look at you like you were never that good. And you have to explain to them, well, back then you could suck and still get into pro worlds. <laughs> So yeah. it's, it's just an interesting uh, change and how quickly it's happened. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I don't know. I, I guess it's all relative. I mean, I played in 16 consecutive pro worlds of which I, I would guess 13 or 14 of those I got an invite to do. So Ooh. I, maybe it was all 16. I don't remember it now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but what I'll say though is, yeah, we're, you played we're, a lot. I, I agree. We're just we're past that point. And and I I'm not mad at that at all. Of course I feel fortunate that, you know, we had the opportunities we could at the time, but I I'm totally good with us not being able to do that's you feel like that's the way it should be, right? You're playing for a world championship, mm-hmm. some scrub off the street 
shouldn't just be able to sign up and go play. And and I know they've in- implemented a new, you know, ratings threshold that regardless of I probably how many, well, I don't know. Was it regardless of points? That's a good question. Um, but there's a ratings threshold for people to be able to even play in, in certain mm-hmm. tier of events now. Um, but I'm good that just any, I mean, it kind of adds legitimacy to our sport a little bit. I, I'm a hundred percent for it. Somebody who just picked up disc golf last week and signed up for the PDGA can't get on the waiting list and then get into the world championships. Like I'm okay with that. As am I. And you don't it's, belong at Worlds. No, I don't. Nor do you. <laughs> you barely belong on the sideline at Worlds. <laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> uh, God, I, I think uh, I'm going to hire Nate Perkins. When... <laughs> Nate Perkins for your job. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway. I, I just, yeah. It's just You're a funny. Right. It's just it's just a funny changing of the guard, a changing of the era. We've talked about it in the past. Just it it literally struck me as I was driving the other day, and I was just like, "Oh yeah, like it was fun to play Worlds, even though mm-hmm. I knew I knew going in that I had zero chance of uh, of, of winning, much less barely mm-hmm. of cashing if I was lucky, of which I never did. You know, I never made a cut at Worlds for crying out loud. In in the I think the maybe half dozen pro Worlds that I played. So, yeah, I just sad. Made me sad a little bit for a bygone era. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's where we're at. So, yeah, uh, it, it is what it is. Oh, Kenny Drew, don't get me started on the final nines. I think we should still have them. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, um, I don't know if there's a whole, you know, a whole lot. I don't want to say. I feel like there's been some anticipation about this event as there should be. It's our, our first major of the year. Everybody loves the course. You know, I, at a certain point though, I feel like a lot of these talking points have, have been said partially because people have been talking about now for a couple of weeks. I mean, think back to Texas States wrapping up interviews, those types of things. And people are like, yeah, see you in two weeks. Yeah. I'm taking off. Yeah. I'll be over at, you know, at this event. And a lot of people have very, very similar outlook on all of this. I don't want to say that sounds boring. And and here's the best part. It's, it's largely positive. Every, everyone agrees. Almost everyone agrees. They love the course. Okay. Well, what's the next talking point? Yeah. Yeah. But you know, you know, this isn't, no, nobody says that kind of stuff. So um, I don't want to sound like we're boring or lazy, but uh, now, now it's just time to put up or shut up, right? People are here to play. Uh, so the question will be is if Eagle will compete, as we said, people talking about um, him being here and what, whatever uh, his ailment or issue is. I think same could be said of, of Simon Lazat. Is he feeling 100%? I don't have any particular insight here uh, one way or another. But well, he's been he's been pretty healthy, I believe. He just... He's just got a family. Like he's weighed down by a child. <laughs> correct. correct. Um, not only that, but just overall, his, his overall health and and preparedness, yeah. I think, are you know the large uh, questions at hand here. So, well, certainly. I mean, you can definitely right, question his preparedness because he's a, a new father. I mean, yeah, of course, yeah, and 
I don't really question it. It's just more of a that's a statement of fact right now is that that's um, a consideration. Let's read a few things off the board. And then if we don't have anything else that jumps up, we can start to uh, to call things here. Um, there's some conversation about final nines. We saw that and NBA fans. Uh, I'm pumped for the cooking show, a Nate Perkins cooking show. I'm not sure if that's what you guys are talking about, um, but th- that seems like it could be a, a good hot take. I, is is Nate is no. Nate known for his cooking? No, it was I. I don't know. Was that why. a joke? I would think it was a joke related to another post. Um, okay, I, I want a double G cooking um, show. I want a double G cooking show. A disc blaster. After some questionable comments tonight, uh, comes in with hot take. Elite Tour Series card holders should not be allowed in Silver Series. Uh, I disagree right now. I think we could get to an era, I think much like me uh, pining for uh, days gone by, I could see in a couple of years that being the case. Throw you know a couple more Elite Series into our, our area uh, or into the year. And Silver Series just becomes a, 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 a some events that I'm sorry you're you're uh, an elite member you're you're not allowed to play in this event. It's just such a it, it's it is a funny concept within disc golf of saying hey you you're too good at this game we're not going to let you play here this weekend. It's not a it's like, not a matter of being too good though. It's not because you're an mm. X-rated player not X-rated, uh, <laughs> a certain rated player. I mean, if you're X-rated, you probably aren't allowed to play for other reasons. <laughs> hey, sir, please put your pants back on. Um, no, if, if you're of a certain, t- take a local player like uh, a, a friend of ours, Scott Bertard, uh, you know, peak sure. over over a thousand rated, um, you know, whatever. If he had excelled to, let's just say a thousand and twenty, a thousand and thirty, that, but never joined the tour, that wouldn't, preclude him from playing there the reason i believe we're we will see this in the future is because they are part of a specific tour meant for them as opposed to this sub tour or this b-level tour this beginners tour this you know feeder tour if you if you're not meant to be fed up to the major leagues because you're already there then you sh- maybe in the future you shouldn't be allowed to play there. Not because you're too good, uh, it's just that you you're already in the big leagues. Too good. You, you can't go to the minor league. You know you can't. You know there's now. You know maybe we have a. Rule I think like it depends on who's running that tour and what the name of it is. Because if it's a disc golf pro tour elite series event, I feel like that gives the yeah. But the Silver Series that, aren't elite series events. <laughs> I I know. Um, I'm just saying, I feel like it gives the notion that it's still part of the Disc Golf Pro Tour and therefore Pro Tour players, any Pro Tour player, if eligible or qualified. Uh, I just don't feel, I don't like the idea of being overqualified or, or yeah. It's, it's okay. not, again, in the future. But again, we'll see. Yeah. I, I again, um, I don't think Dustin, we're going there for another couple of years at best. I, at least, I would say two to three years before that is seriously broached. Correct. We, we may be a little ways off before that becomes a, an actual issue. Um, lot, some people talking about whether, yeah, it's minor league and whatnot. And if, if that's where it could go, uh, Dustin Dis asked Dustin Moray asked out there. Um, should we be more concerned 
about UDISC stats being inaccurate. From firsthand experience at Tallahassee, it was clear the fairway hit was percentage was way off for some players. Here's, I I, I think that's an on a valid question to ask. The one challenge, the main challenge to it, from what I've experienced, is we're relying on local volunteers at every single event to show up. And with some brief training, which is provided thanks to UDISC and and someone else on site, but to show up and then to make their best judgment as to where the disc has landed. And that's what then generates the stats. Is it perfect? No. Will it ever be perfect? No. Could it be better? Sure. I, I, Maybe I brought this up one other place. It would be cool if we had some kind of stat or stats isn't quite the word. Uh, some kind of track record of someone who has done UDISC, UDISCing, UDISCing, because then you would have to think, hey, the the tour has rolled into my town for the last four years. I have UDISC uh, two rounds a day. For three rounds, so I've gotten six times four. I have 24 UDISC opportunities under my belt. Now, they might still be doing them poorly, but the point is they, they've done 24 of them, as opposed to Joe Fan, who just showed up this morning, has never done it, and now is scared to you know touch the slider because they're, they're you know, watching their favorite you know, pro player. I don't have a perfect solution to it because again, we're, we're heavily relying on volunteers with a little bit of judgment. Now here's where they can be eliminated. It usually is pretty clear if you're inside or outside of circle one, what's tough is, well, okay. You're, are you 78 feet or are you 88 feet? I mean, some of those things, short of having your own range finder and <laughs> running up after somebody cans a long one, you're never going to get that perfect. I mean, we've seen some pretty erroneous distances listed on a few, on a few shots. Um, so <laughs> I'm not making excuses, Dustin. I hear what you're saying. I guess we have to also keep in mind what kind of stock are we putting in some of these statistics? Correct. The, the, some statistics if they are subjective fairway hits, as you said, you know, how, how big, you know, take hole one at Texas state. Where does the fairway end? If, if, if I'm 50 feet to the left of the basket, because I hyzer out, but I made, cause I didn't want to be OB and it's still kind of short grass. Is that still the fairway? Some people might say, no, the fairway goes from the T pad, you know, about 40 feet wide straight to the basket. If you're outside of that, you're off the fairway. UDISC has some, uh, I, I believe UDISC has kind of some suggestions. They have about definitions. That. Yeah, I was just going to look them up, but, actually. Because they do have definitions. Something like still. that, you'll never, you'll never be consistent. Now, and as you said, we do have definitions for, um, it's like, tw- it's 12 feet for a bullseye, I'm fairly certain. Then we have, you know, 10 meters for circle one. 
20 meters for circle two. And then, as you said, after that, it's a, it gets a little gray. Um, those should be, and put that in quotes, pretty accurate. I feel like the statistics, as someone said, the statistics are trash. I don't agree with that. I think that in the grand scheme of things, the outliers will be probably kind of just washed away as opposed to the rel. I think our stats are relatively accurate. Relatively. Yeah. I mean, you, and, and you're going to see it. You've got to assume they're going to, they're going to even out. Correct. That you're going to, you're going to wash out those statistical anomalies in the long run. You know, when you look at, we'll just use this last event. If you look at Tallahassee and say, Oh gosh, I know it's, it says Zach Melton, you know, dropped in, a five footer, but that was definitely 12 feet out just outside the circle. And the, and the guy put, you know, he put five feet, like it looked like a tap in from his angle or something like, okay. You know, you can look at that and say, well, that's one putt. It does it throw off his circle one putting percentage by five percentage points. Maybe. But again, like statistics, if you look at this in the year long range and that one putt, or if there's, one or two putts off, what's that going to change his percentage? Maybe a point, maybe throughout the whole season. If you're it, maybe it probably maybe yeah. a tenth of a point. So I think overall, as with any statistics, you look at a wider range, you're probably surprisingly going to have a, a slightly more accurate than if you narrow it down to one to a specific smaller subset of stats. So I, I don't know. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, think about it. it. Is Texas it is. states it is what it is. Texas states on hole six has what did I say? Thirty eight trees inside the circle. Mm-hmm. That that is clearly an anomaly. And sometimes there's there could be one tree or one bush inside the circle, making your putt a hundred percent unmakeable from behind that one spot. So this is I, what I'm really trying to say is you always have to take it a little bit. They're going to come and go. They're going to even out. You're going to have, uh, I think, back to Nate Sexton last year at USDGC. I had asked him something or other about his scoring, and he's like, I didn't make a single putt outside the circle. Meanwhile, he had been scored for like six circle two putts. <laughs> and clearly the U-disker was, we'll say, generous with it. There also could be an event. He goes to the very next event that's scored by by U-diskers, by totally different people, and they're all you know really stingy with the – with the distances and you know, I, 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 so what I'm saying is there's no, I don't think there's a perfect way. And I don't love that answer either. I wish there were, you know, a clear defined perfect way to always address this, but there's just, unfortunately there's not. And I think about that all the time when I think about fairways, it's like, okay, well sure. You might be off the fairway, but did you go so far off the fairway that you actually have another line at the basket? And that's really a better shot anyway. I mean, how do you account for every single scenario that can happen out on the course? Because I see them all the time. Sometimes you disc people, whether I know them or not, will turn to me and they'll say, is that, is that they'll mouth to me or ask me, is that a fairway hit? Is, is that in circle two? And I, 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 I sometimes don't know how to answer them. Well, Tim Kortz <laughs> like, actually brings up a good I point about, is, NF, about football saying last year, Joe Burrow had 55 sacks. 10% of them were him running to the sideline out of bounds. They weren't really sacks. They, they you know, it was exactly, you know, it, it technically is a sack when you drop back. If, if it's a quarterback sneak and you go to run, that that's a 
you know, that could be a judgment call or how, however it works. So we're always going to have that stuff. Stats are stats are stats and they're, 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 they're always going to find a way to have someone argue about them. That's why they're uh, well, and that's, that's why they're that's fun. Where I, that's why they're fun. My my biggest complaint about any, I think, possibly anywhere in all of statistics that I think of with relation to sports, is that I hate I hate the idea <laughs> that a quarterback gets an interception when it goes right through the hands of a player, hits off a helmet, hits off three other guys, and lands in some other guy's hands for the interception. I'm screaming at the TV saying, why? That's not fair. That shouldn't be an interception. And I, again, that's where you just have to think, well, they, uh, somehow it all evens out one way or another because you can't possibly account for every single scenario. And if you did, there's still going to be some subjectivity there somewhere. Advanced um, analytics, but, Terry. There are actual people that do uh, statistics like that not for. Me. I know, not you, not me, but there are people who do advanced statistics, just like when, you know, if a quarterback throws it five yards and the runner and the wide receiver takes it 50 yards, he get he 55 yard pass. Congratulations. You get 55 passing yards. Exactly. Yeah. And so there are I've people. Never, uh, yeah, exactly. That now that we have a lot of this, you know, uh, technology in professional sports, whether it's chips inside the ball or just. AI actually looking at all this footage and just automatically doing it or so many statistics, people are actually keeping track of that, that exact statistic. Like, well, how many air yards did you have versus ground yards versus, mm. you know, those are sure. all things. And those will come to disc golf in the future. At some point we all know, you know, I, I don't know. We've been saying it for 10 years or maybe not 10 years, but you know, five or seven years now that, Oh, we're eventually we're going to get chips in our discs. That'll tell you how fast and how many rotations and how far it, it went within an accuracy of five to 10 feet and things like that. I don't know how truly close we are to that. It could be five years away. It could be another 10. It, I don't, I don't know, but I do know that as our sport grows and progresses and as technology in general grows and progresses, at some point, we'll probably be able to start feeding our footage into uh, computers. When I've already started to look into this stuff and have AI just kind of burn through some of our footage and be able to tell you with a pretty relatively accuracy how far away somebody really was, how, you know, how who it is. So you can automatically create highlight videos <laughs> like, oh, I want all the Paul Macbeth shots. Well, oh, I know what Paul Macbeth looks like. I'll take clips and shove them at you and. I think we're going to get closer to that type of uh, thing. It'll be slower than a lot of other sports because it always is for us. And, you know, cause just because we're small and we're, you know, we're going to, yeah, well, we'll grow. Uh, yeah. yeah how, how many yards after a tree hit? Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, and Kyle on the board had said, you know, we need new definitions for what greens and fairways are and stat keepers need training. It shouldn't be subjective. I hear what you're saying. There is some training on UDISC. There are definitions that are out there. Uh, you'd like everything to be as uniform as possible, but we both, we all know the same call that gets called for a foul uh, during an NBA game at a certain team in a certain situation uh, versus that, ex you know, a different ref seeing the exact same thing. And I'm not here to make excuses, so to speak, but there's always just going to be a little bit because defining a green in disc golf. I mean, I do think about how nearly impossible that is. You're telling me the green on hole one at Texas States is like any other green we'll see this year. 
No, but I think not. To me, the green is anything inside of circle two. The green is okay. where you're, to me, the green is where you're even putting. when there's OB. Yes. Yes. Even when you, so the, the green that there can be the, OB in your green the OB that's, that's nine feet behind hole six that has 38 trees inside circle one, the green, uh, the, or the OB comes in the, nine feet behind that. And, and o- I'm, I'm not, I'm yeah, just yeah, being the OB comes in. Yeah. Yeah. The OB like, comes into the green. That is that technically part of the green. No, the OB comes into the green. The green is where you can stand and make a and make a putt inside of circle two. I, I just think that's the easiest in my head, the easiest way to think it. Are you I, I don't want to say are you putting? Because we do know that some people don't putt from inside of like from sixty-four feet. They might be Yeah. Uh, but most of our top pros. Yeah, I'm trying to think of anyone that doesn't probably putt inside of sixty feet. Almost all of them do. Maybe not all of our FPO pros, but I don't know if it's yeah, I know we have a circle two definition, even though it's not really defined. I don't think it's defined in there in our uh, rule book. Oh, no, I don't think it's I think just circle, but I think it's probably defined by it's defined in in our stats. It's defined in our stats. So, I mean, ultimately, if you want to go by the rule book, then your green is only 10 meters, 10 meters around the circle. Correct. And that's it. After that, it's a chip in maybe. And even if it's 34 meters. 37 feet, 37 feet. Maybe it's still, maybe you look at that as a chip in, even though everyone's still in, everyone's still putting from that distance. You know, Uh, we're still so young that we don't have definitions to this. I mean, I would be, I mean, I Uh, do. They're just not, maybe it's not official. Some other, they're not official definitions. Like circle two isn't an official definition from, from the edge of circle one to what we call the edge of circle two. There's nothing in our rule book about that. Correct, but there's also nothing in our rule book about bullseyes. Correct, but we use that yeah. terminology all the time. Yeah, that's that's a I'm made okay up with UDISC statistic, or whomever. Yeah, like, you know, that's. I'm just saying for uh, as far as you know what we define as a green. You know, we we can make this stuff up. Literally, we're pioneers of the sport. All of us who are doing this stuff. So, is, is it? You know, statistically, I would look at anything inside a circle two is part of the green. Even if it's, even if you've got a bunch of trees around you, that's still part of the green because we have no good way of defining it. As you said, like it's, if, if you've got 60 trees within 10 feet of the basket and you can't make a putt, bummer. That's still part of the green. It's no different than a, a, a golf green where, you know, you're 30 feet away, but you have the worst slope in the world that it's almost impossible to, to, to get it up into the basket. Uh, I mean, or into the hole. So it's, uh, you know, we, we are what we are. We do what we do. We'll all get through it together. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to sneeze. Sorry. Oh, go ahead, Terry. Go ahead. Sneeze it. Do it. Oh, there you right, go. Got it. Good Ooh, push. Whoosh, got it. Okay. Good push. All right. Uh, last quick thing before we wrap up here. I've got some more press conference questions to really grill these guys with tomorrow. Yeah, you have to do all uh, your... Uh, well, first of all, you should... If you have any press conference research. questions, honestly, you should write them in the uh, you should write them in the comments right now, so I could do less work. So is, write them in the comments. Is Eagle going to be? Questions. Is Eagle going to be at the press conference? Is he scheduled? He's got to be, know. right? Um, let's see. Um, I guess if I'm going to write these questions, I should probably know who's going to be in them. You probably should because you have to ask him about the MRI. I mean, that's that. 
Yeah, of course. That's going to be like, hey, what was and I guess no, I would just be as blunt. I know it's you want to argue about personal and HIPAA stuff. Uh, screw that. Ask well, I mean, him. he can always say no comment. Exactly. You, I, I think you have to ask him, what did the results of your MRI come back and look like? I, I don't even think that's uh, an out of line question I, whatsoever. I don't think so either. Um, Some might say it's a little too personal, but, me, you know, <laughs> we're, we're not asking any women, hey, how did your ultrasound look? <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> but so I, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think necessarily that. Uh, our players normally I would say I our, play, our players personal healths are their own business, but this also directly affects his play. So I'm, I'm not going to say I'm frustrated that I have no idea where the, um, but I'm, I, I don't, I don't know who's in the press conference right now. I feel like I wish okay. I knew that 12 hours before it was happening. Um, I, I'm sure it's somewhere that I just don't have in front of me easily, very easily found. And it's really frustrating me right now. All right. Um, so yeah, if you want, leave some questions in there uh, real quick though, I want to then touch on um, the other news we saw on the pro tour side, which clearly has a, a, a tighter tie to some than others. Oh, yeah. Um, but we saw an announcement today that uh, we have a new di- director of music, I think is the official. Uh, Corey Wong added as DGPT music director. Went on to talk about, if you saw it on the socials today, uh, went on to talk about the uh, Grammy-nominated artist and uh, the help that he's going to be providing to the Pro Tour. Also sounds like he's going to be somewhat of a curator for other concert uh, potential bands and shows and acts to play at certain events. I'll just be blunt and say I don't know all the details by any means. If If you read the press release, you probably know as much or more than me. Uh, at this point, but I wanted to shoot it out there. That was some of the notes that came in today. Um, I I am not familiar with Corey. It sounds like I am at a huge disadvantage by not necessarily knowing him or his work. He seems uh, very, very highly revered. And if you're a Grammy-nominated artist, you're clearly uh, pretty good at what you do. But um, I, I saw a wide range of people just uh, over the moon about this today. And um, the only thing that personally disappoints me about the announcement is the quick list that I did see. I think it's for almost every event that I'm in the booth and therefore in Bend and not at the physical event. So from a, from nothing more than a coincidence, coincidence standpoint, uh, it sounds like I might be missing out on some of that. So, yeah, he's uh, I've listened to a real little bit of what he's put out since he's kind of showed up on on the scene with the whole Jomez stuff um, with the video and it's pretty good music like it's not anything I would normally listen to it's not offensive it's not bad it's 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 fun you know it seems like it would be it's relatively good I don't know so I, again and, and, I'm just assuming as much and and he yeah, has and he's clearly through, a very large following and um but, I think a very de- and, and to be dedicated fair, I, like when you I think when when you say something is uh cult like 
that usually means it has a small following but very dedicated fans Did which I is say, what it, i didn't say cult like no that's that's literally i think oh. what uh what what the press release may have said that's where i think i read it and i kind of chuckled really? it was like his uh his cult like following and in general i think that's a funny term but yes a very he's not extremely well known outside of you know in a lot of mainstream stuff like i think you could probably ask mm. Most people on the street and they'd have no idea who he is or any of the bands he was in. But the people that do know him follow him very, very, very (laughs) prolifically, I would say, and like him a lot. And so I'm excited to kind of listen to some of his music. Seems really cool. They're doing six concerts. The word cult was not in the the press release. I just want to put that uh, out there. Then maybe it was the Wikipedia that I I had read. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, because I read up on him more after Uh this announcement. So literally the word cult like was brought up in one of the things I read. So it's not my my thing. Uh, Maybe I'll make shit up. I don't care. Um, Anyway, they're, they're doing six concerts, three of which will be, uh, with Corey Wong in uh, his band, uh, the Wong Notes, I believe. And three of them are going to be picked by him to mm. uh, whatever concert or whatever uh, band that, you know, he cultivates or decides to find a way to bring in. And now my question is kind of, I'm really excited. I think this is a really good idea for the Pro Tour. I like the idea of concerts. I just don't know logistically. And that's the first thing I think of. I'm like, are these going to be at the courses? Are these going to be at establishments outside of the course? Cause if it's an establishment outside of the course, uh, do play, do people, I know there's kind of selling tickets to these things. Is that more of a, uh, they, they called it an add on, but is it more just like, Hey, this is sponsored by the disc golf pro tour. That's why, Corey and his band are here at a venue 10 miles away from the course Saturday night. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, to me, if, it, if it's uh, not here, at the course, it doesn't make as much sense. And that's, that's my well, only I, thought. Or I, I think it's kind of answered where it says, uh, appearing live at the Des Moines challenge. I mean, again, you're right. It doesn't explicitly say playing at Pickard park off of hole three. Correct. But and when the, I see uh, Alt- appearing yeah, live Alta at World. the Des Moines challenge, the Green Mountain Championship, which has the Fall Festival right there, and the Tour Championship, which is at the the Rennie course. Um, at OTB Open, I think of the golf course. Portland, I think of the golf course. The Preserve, I think of as a private golf course. Uh, to me, that tells me that, uh, and again, it's nothing more than an educated guess because I'm smarter than you. That tells me <laughs> that these will be literally on site is, is my guess. And like you're saying, if if it's an offsite venue or experience, it unfortunately is going to lose some of that momentum getting players or or spectators to travel from the preserve to say nine miles down the road to the next uh, you know outdoor concert venue. Mm-hmm. I think if it's physically on site, which most of those places sound like they set up for, uh, that's what I think we'll see and and experience. But well, that, again. And it was I was wrong one other time. Yeah, it wasn't addressed in the actual press release. Um, it was actually, I think, Alta World followed up and said that the concerts mm. plan to be held Saturday evening prior to Sunday's round. We are not finalizing details on the venues, but they're all going to be at least close or very, at the very least, within close proximity, if not at the venues themselves. So ultimately, okay. nobody knows for sure. 
it's it's hopefully they'll be on site because I think that's going to be better off. If again, if it's not on site, I feel like it loses a little bit. Um, it, it could still be kind of fun if you get a discount to the concert ticket or or your admission to the event brings you gives you a concert ticket to bring in. So, um, but I think if if the goal if the goal is to introduce people to disc golf that know Corey, then it should be at the course. If the goal is to add value to your on course spectators, then I don't necessarily think it matters if it's at the course or not, because if Mm -hmm. the, if the goal is just to add value to your ticket, like, Oh, awesome. I got a VIP ticket. I get to sit here at the course. And afterwards I got this ticket to see Corey at nine o'clock at whatever local establishment. Um, That's awesome. I flip a coin as to what you're looking for, but um, either way, it's a really cool uh, value add and I'm excited to see where it goes from here. It's we're getting dangerously close to the exact, uh, the the exact vision of Steve Dodge and what he wanted these pro tour events to be five, I know. five six years ago. I'm waiting for them to announce we're going to have special games at our thing. Look, we're going to stack some baskets up and you're going to be able to, as a spectator, you're going to be able to play these carnival games. Literally. I'm waiting for the next announcement and it'll be all full circle as to exactly what Steve Dodge announced year one of the pro tour. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's uh pretty incredible. Uh, and, and then real quick uh, before we close out and uh, end it um, for the night, Speaking of, I'll say Steve Dodge and and really Maple Hill in that area, it sounds as if <clears throat> they had a, a a very significant and tragic loss. Um, a gentleman who I I I'm guessing I had interactions with at some point, uh, very beloved member of the community. Um, uh, unfortunately, it sounds like he had passed um, sometime in the last week. I think it was since our last show, and we saw a lot of love and outpouring and support that came from. Uh, the entire Maple Hill community. And so, uh, of course, anytime we lose any uh, disc golfer for any reason, it's always tragic. And and it sounds like um, uh, this gentleman had uh, gone far too early. And so uh, big hug and uh, love to everyone out there. Um, what I took away is, unfortunately, he maybe didn't realize all the the hearts and the love and the joy that he brought to everyone else because they're then just flooded my Facebook, um, my feed anyway, where I saw so many people with their outpouring of love for him. So uh, it's certainly too bad that he's, he's no longer with us, but anyway, I wanted to get that in there. We know uh, tell everybody you love them and, and uh, check on people, make sure they're doing all right here in our disc golf community. You never know what people are going through, right? So that's right. Let's uh, let's close it out. I'm going to thank yet again in the regular show. We talked to Mark, Zoe, and Dustin. Got some great UPlay updates. Uh, sounds like they continue to do amazing things. Uh, you know, Johnny, I, I feel like in hearing them, there's a lot of conversation of things that you and I either talked about or or thought of in some grand like pie in the sky idea for the last 20 or 30 years, and to see p- dedicated people like Dustin and Zoe and Mark uh, follow through, follow it to, you know, have it come to fruition and have there be action plans and like legitimate things happening that are at the highest level. I think that's one of the biggest, most exciting takeaways 
um, from hearing from them is like, hey, these are all great ideas. They've been great ideas, just didn't have enough people acting on them. So the fact that they are, you know, in part of that small army that is leading that charge, I think is incredible. So love to see it. We appreciate you guys for joining us tonight. Thank you so much. Um, I think that's about all that we're going to have. I, I will leave you with this quick tease that may or may not happen, especially now that I've, I am set up in the hotel. There is a chance that there could be some form of nightly recap uh, that I end up doing. I may or may not have guests. It may or may not happen. We'll see how each day goes out at the event. But that is something that I've been uh, toying with and thinking about here at the hotel is seems like the internet's good. And if I can press the right buttons, uh, if you keep an eye on the Disc Golf Guy channel, I just might have one or more, maybe every night, maybe only one night. I don't know. But there might be some nightly check-ins. Sometimes you guys know I like to grab a beverage and recap the day and that just might happen. So Put on the purple light. (laughs) Come on, come on. Come on, let's keep it PG here. You guys are thinking I'm going to get drunk. That's that's just ridiculous. I will not do that. I, I will enjoy uh, sh- spending time with you guys. All right, Johnny. Another week on the road. Looking forward to uh, this PDGA major, and then uh, we'll be back in studio for sure next week. So we'll see how things go. So and I, good luck to you in the I booth. I think we're going to release this uh, all- in the control room as our normal podcast. I don't think we're going to do like a special, Good. I don't think it's going to be a Friday after show seeing as how we're doing a champions cup preview and, yeah, and whatnot. Sense. It kind of makes sense to have this all come out. So I wouldn't expect a Friday, uh, a Friday drop. This might just all drop tonight or tomorrow. Drop it. Like it's hot for Johnny V. I'm Terry Miller, the disc golf guy. That's been podcast three ninety eight after show. Thank you guys for joining us. Enjoy the major. Enjoy all the action this weekend coming to you live from Augusta, Georgia. We'll see you next week when you step inside the smash box. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.